podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, welcome people to episode 430 of Film Bastards. I am one of your co-hosts, Mark Foster, and as ever, I am joined by... Ian Shitting Blood Loring. <laughs> and we're not joined by Becky at the moment, I'm, I'm motioning to where she would be, uh, because she has only just finished work and she has to go and pick her car up from the garage um, because her exhaust has fallen off, so she's had that replaced today. So she may be joining, she may not. Um, what I will say is, this is our year in review show, it's our annual year in review show. So if Becky doesn't uh, catch up, she will be doing her list uh, next week for you all, so you'll just have to put up with, with us two uh, for the evening. Um, we are a Pod Syndicate podcast. Um, there's loads of other Pod Syndicate podcasts out there. We also have a patron uh, that we we will get back on on Michael Mann next week. Um, it's just we had a little bit of a break for screen, and then we've had a little bit of a break because it's, we've been we've been getting a lot of year end shit in, haven't we? We yeah, we have, and I I don't know. It kind of feels like everybody's work schedules have been fucking bananas. Like the the Scream show. I will front up and say I apologise that it was so late. No, not the screen. Well, the screen review show from last week, not the screen Patreon show. Yeah, last week's normal show was very, very late and it had fuck all production in it. And it was basically, if I just need, it's Sunday for fuck's sake. It's over a week since the film came out. I just need to get this up. So apologies for not having the usual bells and whistles there. But it just. Fuck it, like, life gets in the way like a It does, and, and January so, always yeah. seems to be this one, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Work is an intense mistress um, on both of our sides, I think. I mean, Bex is loving life, I believe, but... Um, yeah, yeah. she's, she's in, a, in a good place at the moment. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so we're going to go through... Um, we, 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 we just did, we did a little bit of a production meeting beforehand, um, and we said we're going to go a little bit kind of loosey goosey and just sort of see how it flows. So it, it's probably just going to be our year in review because there's some films you might go a little bit longer on, there's some films you might go a little bit shorter on, and there's bits like that. Um, but I'm, I, I'm I'm kind of cool with all that. I'm, I'm kind of I'm down with that. Um, so it's is there it's any basically. News? I was going to say, if you're looking at the runtime now, it's like, fuck me, it's three hours. We just did the re- end of year review stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's probably basically how it will be. Uh, news, 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 news. Um, probably. Um, <laughs> sorry, that sounds awful. I, fuck it, I, like, I'm sorry, I will wake up. I swear to God I will wake up. So, Sundance has been happening. Um, yeah. And um, some films have been getting bought and whatnot. One thing I didn't know existed until last week, Bill Nighy has done a remake of Akira Kurosawa's Ikiru. Oh. Um, Yeah. Uh, It's called Living. It's set in the 1950s. And yeah, it's Bill Nighy. Ikiru um, is a film which... I accidentally ordered into the blockbuster that I was working at. Um, but actually, well, I don't know whether I did it accidentally or whether I was taking the piss. 
But no, do you know what? No, I was very naughty. Some twat asked me to order in Akira. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> What's this? And I just ordered Akira. And then he said, have you got it in? I was like, yeah, 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 here you go. He's like, that's not Akira. I was like, well, you said Akira. Yeah, he said Akira. No, I mate. said Akira. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's how I first experienced Akira. And I didn't even know it was a fucking Kurosawa film. I, it was just like, shit, I'm just going to fucking order this. because I'm, 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 I'm going to be a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm an absolute fucking grade A arsehole. And I, uh, yeah, no, I know. That film is fucking incredible. And it's heartbreaking. And it, a hell of a fucking movie. Bill Nighy in that role could be very, very fucking good. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's been sold to Sony Pictures Classics. And they are low-key Oscar-bothering extraordinaires. They were the ones who handled The Father last year and took it all the way to fucking best, uh, uh, best original screenplay, I believe, and best actor. So, you know, there, there we go. I, I, I think that's exciting. Um, God, they only paid $5 million for it as well, so it's not like they're going to have to um, make that much money for it. Uh, directed by Oliver Hermanus. I don't know who that is. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that really is... Oh, wow. And it's scripted by Kazuru Ishiguro, who um, wrote The Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go. Hmm. So that is a fucking interesting bit of work, that. Fair play. Um, acquired all rights in North America, Latin America, India, Scandinavia, Eastern Europe, uh, Germany, South Africa, Southeast Asia, and airlines worldwide. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, but not... Yeah, not the UK apparently, so I'm, I'm assuming a local distributor's got it, got it over here. But yeah, that that's interesting. Um, also, um, <laughs> uh, the, the film I think I'm most looking forward to from Sundance, uh, Rebecca Hall's got a new film, um, which is a, I just want to get, yeah, it's called Resurrection, um, it's Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth, and I have read that it is, uh, Possession-esque. Oh! Oh yeah. Um oh, two stars in the Guardian. Um but yeah. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um if it is possession esque and it stars Rebecca Hall. That's a spicy meatball, guys. That is a spicy meatball. Um, and I am certainly up for that. Um, Searchlight have paid seven and a half million dollars for Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, um, which uh, stars Emma Thompson. Um, uh, yeah, I saw a little bit about this one. Hmm. Uh, Emma Thompson plays Nancy Stokes, who has led a full life, a retired school teacher and widower. She finds herself yearning for the one thing that has eluded her, 
wow, wee, a satisfying sexual experience. She decides to do something about that with a plan that involves an anonymous hotel room and a young sex worker who calls himself Leo Grande. Leo is confident, dapper, and takes pride in being good at his job. He also appears to be intrigued by Nancy, one of many things to surprise her during their time together. Um, bloody hell. All right, then. Yeah? Yeah? All right. Let's, let's watch Emma Thompson being down to fuck. That sounds like a solid couple of hours. Hmm. Yeah, I'm intrigued enough to give it a go. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and and Lena Dunham's uh, back. Her oh. new film, Sharp Stick, seems to have landed with a bit of a fud. Um, I mean, like anything Lena Dunham does now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there, there's that. There's that. So uh, yeah, Sundance. It's a virtual Sundance. It's a bit of a shame that as well because it kind of feels like Omicron's, like on its way to having done its thing and it feels like if they did Sundance in February not January maybe it would have happened yeah like, like you say if, if they'd have known what they knew now it would have happened but they didn't they no they they I mean like there was a bit of controversy because they cancelled it really late and even though apparently like, I saw a lot of film Twitter complaining that they had Airbnbs they couldn't get refunds from and it was just like how are you in this day and age booking accommodation where you can't get a refund if things are cancelled? Yeah, that's on you, I'm afraid. Yeah, that that does feel very on those people. Um, like, 100%. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, d- I, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, Sundance. Um, Mortal Kombat sequel has been greenlit. Great. Yeah, fine, fine with Fucking that. Fucking A, I'll watch another one of them. Um, uh, oh, God, what's this? Um, uh, oh, oh, wow. Director Jordan Bain to drop NFT motion picture, Red Flags. Uh, what an, what a, what starring... an apt name. <laughs> right, yeah, well, yeah, quite. M- starring Melissa Leo, a debut motion picture NFT on the Ethereum blockchain leading the way to increase the number of filmmakers, especially women, trans and non-binary, and other underrepresented creators to understand and utilise the power of web-free creator economy. This is more than an NFT. This is more than a motion picture. This is a call to action. Um. No. Red Flags, the motion picture, will be released as a one-of-one edition that will be sold and collected on the blockchain. Cool. What does that mean? I just hope nothing. So, does... No, but does that mean, right, if somebody owns that NFT, I take it it doesn't mean that they own the, the copyright to the film. Like, they could buy the NFT and go, right... I'm now going to distribute this myself as a film and reap all the profits. Or does it mean there's literally only one copy of it that will exist and it's only going to be accessible or allowed access by the person who has bought it? I really hope it's that and that, yeah, 
that it just gets nothing. It just goes nowhere, and all involved have a terrible time. So it's basically like that Wu Tang al- album that that fucking farmer twat bought that he then had to give to Bill Murray. That's right. Yeah. When he when when it was it was C, it wasn't it, and he had to give it to Bill Murray instead. But fuck it. Like I tell you what, this whole web just. Very, very quickly. This whole Web 2, Web 3 thing. Right, okay. So you want to create a free internet, but then it's designed by people who you basically have to take their word for it that it's free. Like this Decentraland metaverse that's now around, where it's a limited amount of space, and companies and people can buy space in it. But it's decentralised, you see. No, because you're still fucking paying shit to have a space there. And then it's just... There's going to be... It's an economy. It's not... It's decentralised as as much as it's its own micro-economy. But don't be fucking saying, and this means that we're free and blah, blah, blah. No. Uh, It's... Honestly, it's what... Like, 3D printing It's one of those things where it's like... Fucking fair enough. When I am too old, fair enough because I don't want to live in a world that has that shit going on. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't care enough to to pay any attention. And the thing is, with this red flags thing, the fact that it's like this statement is saying to increase the number of filmmakers, especially women, trans, and non-binary, and other underrepresented creators, to understand and utilize the power of web-free creator economy. It says to me, they've just created some sort of bizarre limited edition video file and they're going to sell it to the highest bidder. Mm. Um, yeah. Hang on, oh, hang on. So, um, uh, it's part of the Courage Collection with proceeds going to charities committed to stopping gender-based violence. Didn't say all proceeds, did it? No. That, that's that's like that episode of Simpsons where the Simpsons Gazette says that uh, a portion of the newspaper is made from recycled paper, and when Lisa asks what portion, and she no percent, and she says zero, and then responds with zero is a percent. <laughs> yeah, 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 quite. I... But bizarre, yeah, fucking bizarre. Anyway, there we go. That's news. The the world's weird. Yeah, it can get to fuck. Um, yeah, it's becoming they're, they're becoming there's becoming certain things that just make me go when people start talking about them or people mention them to me, my brain just goes into this almost this state of going I don't want to talk to you anymore, and I think that the, 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 the bit that talks my brain to, to my mouth is is just is going to just go. Do you know what? We're not going to connect that for a while and just see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah. So when somebody mentions something, go, yeah, I'm not going to touch you anymore. I'm just going to walk away. <laughs> I'm I'm so worried that being that my job is overseeing an a, a digital aspect of a financial services company, I'm so fucking scared that someone's going to start wanting to talk to me about fucking crypto and NFTs at some point. Uh, uh, just no, just, yeah, no, 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 no. No. Do you know what I do want to t- talk to you about you? Mm. I want to talk to you about your best, your worst, your biggest oh, surprises yeah. and your biggest disappointments of the year. Mm. Let's fucking... Yes? I want to talk to you about that as well. 
Let's fucking Just do this. Say. Right, great. Ian. Mm. What's your number 10 best film of the year? Oh, well, oh, come on. You know me better than that. I know you've done you all of them. You know I've got a 15 through 11 to fucking go through first. Are you going to go through it first? Ooh, nice. Go on. So my 15 through 11. 15. Hell yeah. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Nice. 14. Luca. Luca, you are good. Well done, Pixar. I am now annoyed at what is happening to you. And I'm, I fucking, I am absolutely with all the animators and whatnot who are annoyed, apparently annoyed in Pixar as well. Good, I would be as well. Good luck to you. 13. It's that Baby Annette. Baby Annette was in my top 10 until a rewatch. I still think it's great, but it's not in my top 10 anymore. Number 12. Pig. Pig is good. Pig has one of the best scenes of the year. Pig. Great fucking movie. And my 11. The Mitchells versus the Machines. Which I liked on first watch. Improved on rewatch. I have a feeling if I watched it a third time. It would have, it would have cracked the top 10. But yeah. The Mitchells versus the Machines. Fucking great film. Uh, just very very high joke hit rate. Lovely, lovely sentiment to it. So, yeah. But my number 10 is a film that maybe you caught up with. Asgard for Hardy's A Hero. I didn't, unfortunately, no. Um, okay. I was I was going to, but it was one of the ones that just, just couldn't get to. So, I haven't spoken about this, actually, on the show with you. I talked about it... Um, in my LFF show that I kind of just monologued by myself. Um, so I, I spoke about it quite a bit there. But um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, this was something. I watched this at LFF um, with uh, Jordan, Lauren, and uh, yeah, Brad was there for that one as well, actually. Um, <laughs> it was a double bill of that, uh, this and Power of the Dog. So hell of a fucking, um, hell of a double bill there. So, basically, this is the story of a guy called Rahim, played by Amir Jadidi, who is in this, um, basically in what is apparently known as a debtor's prison, where essentially, if you owe someone money, and the the other person is able to prove that they've done all they can to kind of, like, help you and whatnot, you get fucking, and they want you to, you get thrown in this debtor's prison until you're fucking able to pay them back. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And so I, 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 I'm assuming this is a, a thing that happens in Iran. It didn't feel like it was like a fantasy setting or anything. Um, but yeah, he, um, he, he has um, a couple of days leave. Um, and he basically comes into some money um through some like kind of dodgy means um but then um gives back the money to well yeah it so god how to describe it he basically says oh i found this money and then somebody claims it, and then he's heralded as this like 
morally good hero. Um, and he basically doesn't want to kind of like disappoint people by saying, actually, no, I'm a fucking scumbag. Um, and he, I can't, like, the thing is, I saw it a few months back and it, it's annoying me, but I can't remember what it is that makes him, like, um, give up the money. What is it? He's selling something. Oh, anyway, sorry. I, th- th- this is actually really going to bother me, so bear, bear with. Sorry. <laughs> no, um, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you go, wait, what? why can't I remember no, this? It's just, there's, there's, a de- there's a detail to it. Um, right. Yes. He has this girlfriend who he's been, he's, he's been seeing in secret, and she finds this handbag that's got gold coins in it. That's it. She finds a handbag that's got gold coins in it, and she says, why don't you use use this to repay your debts? Um, but instead of doing that, he's like, actually, I'm going to try and like return the, return the, the bag. Um, but then, because she found the bag with gold coins and he, he didn't come in, he, he didn't just find it himself, he starts going down this spiral where he says that he found it and wanted to give them back. Um, and then he's heralded as this hero, and the guy that he owes money to is like, no, hang on, what the fuck? Um, because then people start trying to raise money for him, and he's like, no, 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 he owes me money, he's now fucking playing on everybody's affections to get you all to help him, um, and it's this just like this morality tale where he's this... Like this guy who he's not exactly a scumbag, but he's but not exactly a good dude either. No, no, no. That's the thing, and he it, it just like he's happy to play other people off against each other, and and happy to kind of play on people's emotions and things like that. And it's really complex, but it's also fantastically suffocating. It like it, 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 you are just wondering how far down the rabbit hole he is gonna go, and like people every now and then start questioning things, and it's like um, it, it, they're, they're, his family are trying to get him out of um, like of other obligations that he's got, and um, then he's having to try and prove his story, and then he's having to invent side things to bolt onto things to justify things that he's been saying to try to prove his story. Um, and and it's like he's getting other people in to pretend to be other people, like to pretend to be people in his story and things like that. It, it just, but all the way through, you are like, I I I kind of want to see him succeed, but also I. I get why certain people are really fucking pissed off at him. <laughs> um, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's a heck of a film. It's really, really interesting. I believe it's um, on and, Prime now. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. It's on Prime. It had a, a, a limited theatrical release, but Amazon have the rights, so it's it's on Prime. It, it came on Prime last Friday as we record, and yeah, I mean, it's. Um, it's a it's a cracking bit of work. And the thing is, I didn't know fucking anything about it, and I was going to go and see something else. And then, George, like, fair play to George. Thank you, George. He was just like, 
no, you should you should watch a hero. And I was like, oh, okay, well, shit, all right, then let's see how it goes. And I'm I'm glad he persuaded me. So yeah, a hero. Uh, my number ten, really, really, really fucking good. I think it will probably get nominated the Academy Awards. There's a couple other films coming up that apparently I would rather it won Best International Feature, however. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I also did a... Uh, I, I do have a 15 to 11 uh, as well. So I'll do mm. those before I do my number 10. Uh, News of the World. Uh, surprising um, Tom Hanks movie uh, that landed on Netflix. Um Really good movie that nobody seems to watch apart from me and you. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. I mean, it, like it actually had a theatrical in the US as well back when. God, I mean, we we think things are kind of like slow at the cinema now, but just remember those days. Oh man, like yeah. December last year, we couldn't see shit in America. It was like things were earning like a million dollars at the weekend, and oh my word, what a fucking time. Um. By number yeah, then uh, number fourteen, uh, the Kid Detective, which I snuck in for this year because it was released in the UK oh, this nice. year in cinemas. Very good film, yep. um, quite surprising film towards the end. A really quite playful movie to, throughout, and then a really fucking just smacks you around the face ending. Um, really well done. Um, mm. Then number thirteen, Pig. Uh, oh yeah, it, like you said, yeah, it's it just a, a really quite. Somber and quite sad movie um, that 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 uh, is was masquerading as one of the you know the, the crazy cage movies that we seem to be getting at the moment. Um, number twelve, Vacation Friends. I I ummed and ahed about this. It'd be in my twenty. Yeah, um, I I contemplated putting it uh, as my one surprise, and I realised I I can't call it a surprise because if you'd have explained that movie to me, uh, I wouldn't have been surprised that I liked it. So yeah, do you know what I I wondered about that myself as well? But it was like by the time I got round to it, I just thought, well, no, I'm kind of expecting I'm going to enjoy this because I now know that I I do very much like John Cena funny. Yep. So yeah, I get it though. Yeah, but that that's what I went for. And my number eleven is June. Sweet, fair play. Yeah, so I shall fire in with my number 10. Um, I'll I'll, I'll just say, because Dune may not come up again today then if Bex isn't going to be on. I'll just say, I re-watched Dune last week um, and that film got better on a second watch. I think because I had subtitles on, in all honesty, and I think I was in a better mood. However... They need to release a version with the IMAX framing. It genuinely felt felt like I was watching. I mean, I was, but I I remember that I was watching less film. Fair enough. I, I, I still can't understand why they haven't released the IMAX framing. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, quite at all. Uh, so my number ten uh, is Riders of Justice. Hell yeah! Good job. Yeah, the um, it's no just because it, it's kind of it sat with me, and we watched it. I watched it sort of like back in, I believe it was like February, or something like that. So it wasn't even that far after we yeah, yeah. we we'd, uh, we'd recorded last year's uh, best of show. Um, 
but it's kind of sort of sat around in the back of my brain and it's one of those where every time someone's mentioned it like on Twitter or you know like people that I've spoken to that have seen it I've kind of gone hell yeah great movie um, mm. the you know I, I have several times um sort of, you know, remembered the, um, can we go and see the barn now? <laughs> the barn really is fantastic. <laughs> Just so many times. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it's such a, an oddly, like, heartfelt movie um, mm. that I've really enjoyed kind of that aspect of it, that it's not, it, it it's quite angry. It's supposed to be an angry movie. But then it, it has this moment of these... Um, these people just kind of finding their own little weird family, and it ends up, you know, at the end being really quite quite a touching story, um, but genuinely um, funny, peppered with quite extreme violence at points uh, throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It really is a a very a, a very good film. Um, so yeah, that's my my number number ten is uh, Riders of Justice. Fucking a, no, that's a that's a great choice. Um, my number nine, uh, pretty confident this is going to come up on either of yours lists. Uh, West Side Story. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I just really fucking enjoyed every single minute of this. Um, I thought that the decision Spielberg made uh, in terms of difference was absolutely fair enough. I mean. Apparently, he didn't want to do America like up on the the, the 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 not the ceiling. Jesus Christ, the fucking rooftops. What's the the rooftop? Jesus wept. Uh, thank you. Um, because he was like, I'm not going to be able to beat that. It's like fair okay, enough. Fair enough then. Yeah, and it's like, but I think he did, I, I think he did a really good job. Um, I I I think cool is a far better number in in this version. Um, you know, I, it, it, I, I'm not going to say it's perfect. You know, I, I'm just not. It's not. Um, but I really, really liked it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. And it's going to be interesting to see how that does as awards season uh, rolls on. It, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. So yeah, my, I, you know, we only talked about it a few weeks back. My number nine, West Side Story. Cool. Um, yeah, it, it's a film. Um... I, I I really want to rewatch because um, I I don't know whether I was in a snippy mood at the time or I went into it with just expectations too high or something like that. So yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's an element of that um, to West Side Story. I, I I need to I need to reevaluate my evaluation of it. I think. Um, I, I I mean that's the thing. It's like with June. It was like I just I. I had a read. I was running late. I missed the first couple of minutes, and I just wasn't very. I wasn't settled and ready for it, you know. And I like that's the thing. It can, that can uh, color your, your your memory of these things. So yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be intrigued to see what you think on rewatch for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be rewatching it probably before awards season kicks in. I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So my number nine. Uh, again, one that definitely won't be on your list, but uh, a movie that was basically marketing uh, is the uh, Taylor Sheridan uh, movie "Those Who Wish Me Dead." 
I mean, it's not on my list, but it's a good film. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is. It is a very Mark Nit movie um, in, in terms of the um, the setting, the you know the director um, and, and the writers. Uh, the the cast even has a few sort of strong Mark Nit ones with um, Nicholas Holt and John Bernthal turning up. Um, I actually think Angelina Jolie's very very good in it. Um, Tyler Perry turns up for one scene. I remember. Literally like he That's was driving incre- by. <laughs> fucking incredible. Like, is that Tyler Perry? What's he doing in this? And then he's gone. <laughs> and he's gone, literally. He literally gets out of a car, walks the edge of a road, delivers just a really well-delivered scene, and then just drives off again. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Oh, I, I really do quite enjoy Tyler Perry and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it those wish me dead... A very much a a, a magnet movie. Like I say, there's some great visuals. It it, it uses, you know, the, the part of like the thing is that, that they're being smoked out, um, and so it, it, it uses that um, and has a great kind of balance between the, you know, the smoke and then the light, but the fact that it's at night, so the darkness, and it, it works like that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a. It was a, a very thoroughly enjoyable um, cinema experience. I think that was one of like the first um, when we came back from the cinemas, uh, you know, the, the, earlier on in two thousand twenty-one. Yeah, I mean, I saw it the first Wednesday that the cinemas were open. I like, I saw Spiral. <laughs> Fucking Spiral was my first film back at the cinema, and oh, God, I was so excited. Um, it's just to be watching anything, and that, but then I, yeah, those who wish me dead was literally the second thing. I, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And just what fun, fun that was to just be like, yeah, watching this in the cinema, this mid budget, made for grown ups thriller. Yeah, that's it. it felt very, it, it felt sort of very mid to late nineties. Yeah, like, for sure. Sometime between ninety. Sometimes we played ninety five and ninety seven, so it couldn't quite be uh, inspired. I hadn't quite got caught up in all of the the, the post Pulp Fiction Tarantino ripoffs, but also it wasn't um, languishing in the you know just after the eighties bad suits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so that was my that's my number number nine there. Uh, those who wish me dead, which I I will be catching up with again very very soon. I would think. Nice. Uh, my number eight is Raya and the Last Dragon. Um, Raya and the Last Dragon, I think, has been basically forgotten. Yep. And I think that's really unfair. Um, Encanto has basically just become huge. And fair play... I like Encanto. I don't love Encanto. But Raya and the Last Dragon is just one of the most visually dynamic Disney films I remember seeing. I think it's got a fucking beautiful message at its core. It's got a great, fun, supporting cast. Um, and, and Kelly Marie Tran in, in, in the lead. I think she's fantastic. Um, and and it's it's got really, really good action as well. 
Like, I just think as a damn fucking solid, like, no, more than solid, like, really, really entertaining family movie... I, I had a great experience with it. And my, my you know, I, 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 unless you're really thinking about it, I think all lists are subjective. But so, some of my, my picks in this list are very much a me list, as they should be, because they're a reflection of me. Yeah, um, so I always do th- my list. This w- <laughs> yeah, straight, yeah, and it, I, I, you know, I think it's the way to go. And, you know, it was like, it was the start of March. We kind of like, we didn't re- like we were on our roadmap out of lockdown. And it was like, here's a big fucking Disney animated movie to watch at home. And boom, I had a fucking great time. Um, yeah, I mean, I am annoyed that this is the one that seems to have been forgotten like Luca is getting a lot of the like the critical praise, and that seems to be keeping it in in mind, and that's great. As I said, I really, really, really like Luca. Mm. Um, you know, and Encanto. I'm I'm glad people are enjoying it. But Raya and the Last Dragon, that's the shit. Yeah, that's that, the that, shit. I, I I yeah, I like that. That, that, that that's in your list. Hell like yeah. you say, it does. So, it does seem like it's the one that's kind of been been forgotten about. Um, yeah, yeah, and it should. It, it, it's a. I, I didn't get along with it on first watch, but I enjoyed it on second watch. Is what I would say, which is usually the opposite yeah, of me for nice. Pixar. Pixar usually I I don't like them on. I, I I I usually like them on first watch and then get bored on second watch. I'm gonna be a dick. Sorry, it's not Pixar. It's Disney Animation. Oh, so it's Disney Animation Studios, isn't it? Of course, yeah. Um, so that means you'll fucking adore Encanto when you first watch it. You, I think you need to watch Encanto. By the way, I think you need to have an opinion on it. I'm fucking intrigued. I, I, I will, I will look to give it a go. Uh, uh, you know, it's going to be in the animated feature and best original song conversation. You see, that's it. You see, I'm going to try and watch as many as the of, of the Oscar botherers, uh, of the Oscar nominated ones this year as I can. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of going to have to watch it, so I might as well enjoy having to watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, We Don't Talk About Bruno is going to be a best original song contender, and I could see it fucking winning over No Time to Die. Like, We, we Don't Talk About Bruno literally was the UK fucking number one song a week or two ago. That's wild. That is. A bit, it's a film yeah. that came out in November, and now it's not. You know, it, it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but anyway, fucking Encanto, Ryan the Last Dragon. That's the shit. And that was your number eight, wasn't it? Eight. So my number eight um, is yeah, is quite far removed from Ryan the Last Dragon. Um, it is David um, the loft, Bro- the, the, uh, I was going to say The Loft didn't get a remake this year sorry it didn't unfortunately oh shit you're going to you're going to say yeah hell yeah let's do it Rebecca all step on me yeah David Brutner's The Night House yeah um, again an early back to cinema uh, for us I believe uh, it was uh, August yeah it was August wow yeah so yeah, but it was the one most of those erotic ones. film of the year. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I, I remember seeing a trailer for it in the cinema and going, "Yeah, all right, and yeah, I'm intrigued by that." And then proceeded to read nothing about it and got a little bit sort of 
right, I don't want to see the trailer anymore. I, I want to see the film. And then saw the film and was very much like, oh, this is fucking good. This is really good. Um, yeah, like you say, you've got Rebecca Hall just being broken and then being aggressively broken. <laughs> uh, the Yeah, the, the scene in the... Is it a bookshop or it's a library? It's one or the other, either bookshop or library, it's, isn't it's it? A it's a bookshop. It's a bookshop, right. Um, yeah, where... That, she, that girl works at the bookshop. Of course she does, yeah. And she's she basically just stands her down. <laughs> is oh. is glorious. Um, yeah. Oh. Um, a weirdness in, in the sense of, I think, literally before this... Before the trailer even became a thing... I think we'd mentioned something about Rebecca Hall, and I can't remember why on the podcast. And we were like, Rebecca Hall, what happened to her? She should be doing more. And then it's like the universe listened and went, you want some Rebecca Hall there? Yeah, you're going to get a lot in the next 18 months. Like, a lot. Um, So, yeah, the the Nighthouse. And really, if if nobody's caught up with this yet, I believe in the UK it's on Disney+. Plus. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so if you've not caught up with it yet, uh, anybody, uh, it, it's a really good psychological horror um, in a year where you know the, there's there's been a mix of horrible stuff. Yeah, it's the Nighthouse is a fucking fantastic bit of work. I'm looking forward to checking it out again. Actually, I do. Yeah, I do you know I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be surprised if on a rewatch it would have squeaked into the fifteen for me. Nice, mm. nice, yeah. And, and I bet you rewatched it and said it, it, it held up really, really well. Um, she actually, yeah, I think Very she nice. watched it. I'd gone to bed one night early on. Um, and because of where we live uh, now, there's there's very little outside noise because there's no main mm. roads <laughs> anywhere. Um, so she was saying it, it was quite eerie watching it in the deadly quiet, really pitch black with the stove on. <laughs> Yep, I bet. I could never live in a place like that. It would be fucking terrifying, but good for you. (laughs) Okay, Ian, you need to give us your disappointments now. Let's let's, let's, let's bring the tone down a little bit. So for for anybody who... um, If if you're new uh, to the podcast, or you've just joined this year listening to the podcast, when we do our rundown of the year, what we do is we do a a top ten, uh, we do a bottom ten as well. Uh, we also do a five disappointments and a five surprises. Uh, and then how we work this is we do ten, nine, eight, and then we do the disappointments. Then we do seven, six, five, and then we do the surprises. Then four, three, two, our ten uh, worst films of the year because we don't want to talk about them as much. And then we'll do our number ones. Uh, so, Ian, do you want to just run down your? Should we do your full five? And then my full five. Sure. Yeah, do it like that. That's yeah, that's fine. We don't want to spend too much time on these ones. Um, and uh, just to say, we're running by the rule that no film can appear on two lists. No again. film can yeah. appear on two lists. Yeah, okay. Um, regular listeners may notice that something's missing here, but it, it's coming later. But yeah. So uh, my number five would be uh, the Russo Brothers' Cherry. Um, you know... They're following up Endgame. They've basically got a blank check. They've got Tom Holland, and they produce that. Yep, that will come up later on. Like fuck, fuck, 
Fucking hell, yeah. Uh, my number four is Sion Sono's Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Yep, it's a solid choice. Just, just fucking... It's not awful, but that... Come on, you... you you had it right there. Yeah. Like, Jesus. My number three, uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I really like The Conjuring 1 and 2. This one felt like a direct-to-video knockoff. Um, and <laughs> was, yes, okay. So it's directed by the guy who directed The Curse of La Llorona and uh, not the first two films, you don't say. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, it doesn't stick the landings as well, does it? Nope. Uh, my number two is Censor. Um, a film which, frankly, I was disappointed because everyone was being very convincing that it was going to blow my fucking brain away. And I thought, uh, it's all right, but the third act is fucking shit the third act of censor is unmitigated shite yeah and what, what um, i will say, say say about censor is and i might be wildly off the off the, the bat here because i haven't seen it but in terms of the not even the film but the chat around the film and i'm going to go very old man yells at cloud right now but it's horror for people who are under 30 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, may, yeah, maybe. I just, I don't know how anyone found the third act of censor anything other than kind of like rubbernecking at a car crash. What are you doing? Um, but name Algar in the lead role. She's great, and I think that it Prano Bailey Bond does conjure a really good sense of atmosphere before that but when it when it's actually trying to be scary nah nah you done fucked up but again it's subjective there's a lot of people who i trust the opinions of who are like it's the best horror film of the year and absolutely fair play but i think mark's point of it's maybe horror for people who are a I don't know. Maybe just a generation younger. Mm. Maybe that's just. Maybe that's just it. Maybe just different things get people. But yeah. Um, and my number one, even though I liked it more on rewatch, is in the heights because I was so very, very here for in the heights. People can go back and listen to when, like, we talked about the trailers and stuff like that. I was. So down for in the heights. Oh, you were you, you and, were very it was, you were very in the tank for it. Yeah, 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 and it just it's fine, but it makes some bad choices. I don't think it's directed particularly well, and as I've said before, looks like it was shot by a blind person. So there you go. That's my uh, disappointing five. <laughs> um, my disappointments, and again. Disappointments don't necessarily have to be bad films. So my number five is West Side Story, but this comes with a caveat. Mm -hmm. I am actually more disappointed in myself than the film because I don't think I gave it a fair chance. So I'm I'm having that a little bit. I'm I'm taking a little bit of a liberty there. Um, My number four disappointment, Black Widow. 
Um, if, if you're going to shoot on a movie in um, five years too late, don't make it look like it was made ten years before. Um, a just pointless exercise that everybody waited for and that they must have known was utter garbage. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is it, it, it is incredible yeah. that it was like you just had to wait for that. Yeah, you had to wait for that. <laughs> for I that. mean, it's like if you had to wait for Shang-Chi and it was like... Fucking hell, that was really good, actually. You know, I mean, fair enough. But the fact you had to wait for, like, and Black Widow was the one that the MCU was going to come back with, and it's that. Yeah. And I'd say it gets no better on rewatch, I'd fucking tell you. I, oh, my. I will will never rewatch it <laughs> at all, ever, categorically. Yeah. yeah. Um, my number three is Coming to America. A movie that I didn't dislike, but... That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good call. But, mm. just, why not be better? Just why not be better? It, it, I mean, it's more, how are you not better? Yeah, it is. I, I, I think, like we say, we literally wrote a better ending uh, that made more sense on the podcast. Um... <laughs> And and the thing is, it's not like we were being clever. It was literally staring me in the face. Yeah, it was right there. She wants to be a hairdresser in uh, in Brooklyn. There is the barber shop in Brooklyn. There's a joke earlier on about his brownstone uh, house being worth two million dollars. Have it that he sold that, and he gave her the what is it? There you go. That's how they end up in Brooklyn. It, it's, it's there. <laughs> um, yeah. My number two biggest disappointment. Prisoners of the Ghostlands. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, echo everything Ian said earlier. Um, a movie that, that constantly, rather than just being crazy, um, is constantly trying to be crazy and just tapping on the shoulder and going, look how crazy we are. Just look. Are you it looking very how crazy badly we are? wants to be nuts. Yeah, we're going to do something crazy <laughs> again in a second. It's going to be crazy. Watch, watch, watch. And you're there going, oh, will you just fuck off? Stop running me. Just do something. It, it isn't even that crazy. Just, It's bizarre that Sion Sono did that. Yeah, just made... Like, just... Some, something went wrong with that fucking film somewhere along the line. I, I I reckon that they decided to make the film, had a dra- rough draft, and then just made the rough draft. Hmm. Sure. Uh, and then my number one is In the Heights. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, was, I was up for this. I was up for just being entertained and kind of absorbed into that environment. Um, and then it's too long. The songs feel out of place. Uh, not out of place, they feel within place, but they feel like out of, like, you, you, it builds up and then you have this really fucking long, like, eight-minute song about a woman dying. Yeah, she went, she literally walks up a subway tunnel to heaven. Yep. 
So in a, in a two hour, 15 minute movie, you spend about eight minutes, the last, what, 20 minutes of it just being really depressed. Yep. And it's not even a good song. Um, I, I can't actually think of a single song from it. No, they, they, there are no memorable hooks. Nope. And if people say, well, what about Blah? It's like, yeah. right, but have you had that? W- would that have appeared in your Spotify unwrapped? Because if it did, you can't say that. <laughs> no, it's like, what about Blah? All right, sing me it. In the heights. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's it, in and, the heights. And Ian, you are a hundred percent right. It looks like shit. It looks like a TV. And the thing, honestly, right, the Cineworld in Cardiff, their projection standards are fucking awful, awful. Eternals, as much as I still am relatively mad on that film, looks so much better on Disney Plus than it, the cinema presentation. I rewatched In the Heights on 4K Blu-ray. I gave it the best fucking chance I could next to the Cineworld presentation, thinking maybe it's just Cineworld. It's not. You, you, have, you have really tried to like that movie, haven't you? Like, no, seriously. The Film Junk podcast calls it a force feed. When you're watching something, just like, I need to fucking like this. Make I Film, make you like... Make me like you. Yeah. And I, 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 I honestly, I've tried that within the heights. And it got, like I say, it got better on rewatch... But that film is a three out of five film that fucking should have been a five out of five banger. And for loads of people it was. I do not see it. And I really don't think it's because I don't want to. Because fuck me. I have spent nearly five hours of my life in the height, uh, watching In the Heights trying to love it. Yep, that's it. I, I, I was not... That's why it's in my disappointments. It's not just in my... It wouldn't have made my worst list because it's not, it's not categorically a bad movie. It is not. There is not a single bad movie in my disappointments. They are all just meh. Uh, yeah, I think that, that. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Like, I think my lowest is a two out of five. But my my word, do I have less than two out of five in my worst? Oh yes. Oh, I do as well. Um, right. Let's get back in. What's your number seven, Ian? So my number seven is a film that I told you a few days back wasn't going to be troubling my top ten, but it's fucking stayed with me. Oh. My number seven is Joaquin Trier's The Worst Person in the World. Right. Nice. That film is fucking good. That's a really, really good film. And I'll be honest, I think in years to come, if I was to revisit this list, I think it might even go higher. Oh, really? Um, One of those? Yeah. I. It. it honestly, it stayed with me. Because, so it, it seems, it's kind of simple, deceptively simple. So it's basically about a woman, a young woman who is entering her 30s. She doesn't really know what to do with her life. Um, yeah, she's kind of like start like starting jo- like jobs and career paths, and then uh, leaving them. Um, she has a, a boyfriend, but he's older and wants kids. She doesn't really, so she's kind of like, "Do I actually want this?" But I, 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 
and it, it chronicles like a few years of her life. But the the first half to two thirds, it's funny, and uh, it's got some interesting visual stuff in it. There's a there's a moment where she's at a bit of a sliding doors like moment in her life, and she literally pauses the world and runs somewhere, and it's it's great. Um, but then. As it wraps up, some stuff happens and it really resonates. And there's a couple of monologues in this film which are really, really powerful. And again, I, I mean, it, the thing is, this is appearing in a lot of year-end lists. But for me, I'd say it's subjectively... Because there is a character in the film who is dealing with getting older and not necessarily understanding, like, it's fully understanding the viewpoints of younger generations coming up. Um, and how this person, like, in their youth was a kind of a counterculture icon. And now, as they're. And I'm not saying I'm a counterculture icon, but like this person in the film, uh, it, it uh, was. And as they're getting older, the world's kind of leaving them behind, and they're God. No, I, I won't say any more because it kind of almost spoils the monologue. But it's great. But then also, you you you've got um, the the lead character Julie, um, played by uh, Renata Renz. Renzvi, forgive me for the pronunciation, and she is great. Um, like I say, she's kind of flighty and she doesn't really know what to do, but you you kind of understand that it 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 really very nicely plays the both not knowing what to do in your first in your like late twenties, early thirties. And then even kind of like what I'm certainly experiencing in my late later thirties, where it's like, and now, like the younger generations are coming up, and what was counterculture then is not counterculture now, or it's even more counter to the counterculture because the counterculture is very, very lefty. And your counterculture at the time might have been kind of sort of lefty, but now the lefties are seeing it as more centre or centre right, you know, <laughs> and and just how that that's kind of it. It's got really interesting shit to say, but it's also on the face of it, just this story about this woman who can't make her mind up. Um, and it's just like the more I'm talking about it, it's like fuck, I want to watch that again, like soon. One of those that, and, that's, that's kind of like, while you're watching it, it was one thing, and then as, as it's gone away, you've gone, all right, you know, this was, yeah, all right, this is sticking. Yeah, yeah, just very rich and full of meaning, but also very, very entertaining. There's a, there's a drug trip sequence, which is fucking incredible. Very funny. Like, very, very funny. Oh, I might have to get this um, soon, I think. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I will say, 
Mark, at the start, it says it's a story told with uh, 12 chapters, a prologue and an epilogue. Don't let that put you off. (laughs) Don't let that put you off. I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, Renata Rensvi, a very, very charming woman. She's quite fetching. Um, But, yeah. Um, I will say, uh, Anders Danielson Lee, uh, who plays this character, Axel, um, he is fucking brilliant as well. And I haven't seen that many people talking about him, but he, the monologue, one of the monologues I was talking about, he has, uh, actually, no, he has both of them thinking about it. And yeah, uh, great. It, 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 yeah, it's, it, it's a fantastic film. Um, if it got an original screenplay nomination, I'd be like, "Yeah, fuck me, go on, do it." You know, it, it's it, it it feels like this year's another round where it's like the one that could maybe like the like European film that could attract the attention of the Academy in that kind of a way. Yeah, yeah, um, it does seem to have that kind of trajectory at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's ace. It's really, yeah. I mean, I don't know. The more I talk about it, the more I like it. Good. You know, it, it's um and and and, and it, like when I literally when I reviewed it on Letterbox the other day, I was just like, yeah, I wasn't really too sure about all the bits, but I'll be honest. I think I'm gonna have to edit that. <laughs> like, I I I think it really just fully fully adds up. Um, fucking hell, do I need to move it higher? I think I need to move it higher. Fuck. This does happen sometimes, doesn't it, when you do the show and you start talking about something and you go, I put that in the wrong place. <laughs> Hang about. Because the thing is, the next film I talk about, it's going to be like, really? Right, well... Let's let's move on. What's your what, what? Yeah, what's your number seven, Mark? We'll uh, we'll we'll revisit. My number seven is uh, Tick Tick Boom. Hell yeah! Um, I knew basically I knew very very little about it. Um, and Beck showed me the trailer, and then I was like, "All right, so it's it's that. All right, that's cool." Um, I I very much like um, Andrew Garfield. Uh, as an actor, um, yeah, I think he he does a lot of very interesting things. So I was I was, I was quite intrigued by this. Um, and then Beck showed me the trailer, and I was like, "That's really busy, very busy. It's a busy trailer." Um, and then the film itself is quite is quite busy. I, I, I found, but in a very charming way, in the sense that I think the film's supposed to be busy. It's supposed to seem like everything is literally ticking by without him being able to get control of it. Um, That it's there and it's this guy who's just got all of this creativity that he just, he just can't quite access um, and gets so caught up in his own, um, his own belief in what he's doing should be the most important thing in the world that he starts to forget about the important things in the world. Um, and it's, I think, I think song wise, it, it, it's very good. 
the songs are are catchy. Um, we mentioned in the Heights earlier on, and I, I, I can't remember a single. Genuinely, cannot remember a single song from that. Um, to the point of where when you sang the In the Heights bit, I couldn't work out. I, I, it took me a few seconds to work out if you were taking the piss and just doing a, a song that could have been made up called In the Heights, or if that actually was a song from it. <laughs> um, and the the other bit there is, and uh, but with Tick Tick Boom, I can remember a few of the songs. Um, that are in it, um, but it's also carried along by a a really really great sort of central performance um, by Andrew Garfield that he's getting a lot of awards chatter for, and kind of rightly so uh, for it. It's a it, it's it's a really really uh, great piece of work. Um, Lima Miranda doing his directorial debut. Um, by film that he didn't write and he wrote in the heights but didn't direct it um i am hit and miss with limbo with limbo lin manuel miranda apologies for that um in the sense that i i find a little bit of lin is all right and a little bit too much of lin can be a little bit like go away um but yeah he he does a great job directing tick tick boom i think uh in the sense that he Keeps it really entertaining when he's actually telling what's quite a sad story. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yes. So that yeah. was my number sure. seven. Uh, what's your number six? A film that I apparently think is better than the worst person in the world. Maybe I do. I'm going to talk about it. James Wan's *Malignant*. Oh, nice. <laughs> I think you do, and I think you should. I think I probably do, and I like I think that you I do. probably do. I think I think I'm feeling comfortable with this. *Malignant* is a film which absolutely just jaw on the floor. Like, are we actually doing this? It completely wrong foot wrong foots you with this just bizarre fucking energy. All the way through the film. You know, you've got that start pre-credits bit, which feels like it's just out of something completely different. And then it cuts to the fucking, like, like almost like metal music in the fucking credits sequence. And it's like, right, what, what is happening here? The odd fucking, like, uh, uh, sprinklings of where is my mind... Yeah, which become like actually becomes quite a fucking bang on. Look what's happening here, you know, like reference to Fight Club. <laughs> but, um, and, 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 and it, it, it it's James Wan doing his thing, making visually dynamic horror cinema. But also absolutely hamming it up. The fucking moment that that woman breaks free of the attic, walks along, and then just fucking, like, crashes through the ceiling of the fucking living room. It's... (laughs) The thing is, it's... It's unbelievably ballsy filmmaking not in the sense that it's ballsy in the sense that it's showing off or anything like that it's ballsy in the sense that 
the, the, at some point James Wan has explained this and they've gone I need this much money to make this movie and they've gone are you sure and he's gone oh yeah trust me just fucking trust me and I love the fact that somebody has gone do you know what yeah we do <laughs> I mean no, no, I mean, this is it. it again it's James Wan absolutely got a blank check with this yeah like and, you know, it was obviously something that he wanted to do. He likes keeping his hand in the horror stuff. He produces a lot of stuff. But the fact that he's still directing, I think, is wonderful. It, it, you know, it's like I look at Sam Raimi and what he does with Ghost House Productions. And it's like the last horror film he made was over a decade ago. Mm. You know, James Wan, once he started doing Fast and Furious films, he could have been like, yeah, all right, see you later. But no, he wants to have fun. He wants to fucking play in that sandbox. And... He comes up with the most fucking bananas fucking shit of a third act where you are watching Gabriel take down an entire prison cell of people doing all this athletic shit while Annabelle Wallace's head is just fucking on the back of him with her eyes closed. You know, it just, it's like, what the fuck? fuck am I watching? I, I just, I, I remember coming back from the cinema and, and Donna, bless her, like, she does, like, she'll ask me, I'll like, what, you know, what you see, what you're going to see and I'll basically like, two line review it and be done and I literally had to like, set her aside and just go, Don, you're not going to fucking believe what I just watched, right? And I basically re- like, just told her the entire plot and she was just like, I'm never going to watch that but that sounds like you had the best time. And I did. I did. I just... It's such a fucking baller move from James Wan. And I respect that shit so much that, you know, it's like, shit, man, do you know what? You didn't come back for Conjuring 3. You produced Conjuring 3. Hopefully you were let down by the end product of the Conjuring Free, but you know what? You fucking made malignant. <laughs> yeah, I. Do you know what? I, I I'd love to have sort of just like been there when James Wan was explaining um, like the premise of the movie to Annabelle Wallace, <laughs> and just to yeah, see I mean, what her like, reaction I'm... is of going. Go on then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It kind of seems like Annabelle Wallace is more than happy to come and play as well, you know. And it's it, it just like good good honor, you know. Uh, it, it, it yeah, malignant is just really really fucking fun, and and yeah, just perfect. Like, what do I want out of James one film after Aquaman? I want malignant. And now he's going to go back and do Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, you know, and fine, you know, it's, we'll see what happens there. He's really good at world building, but shit, dude made Aquaman and got Warner Brothers to fucking pay for Malignant. <laughs> got Warner Brothers to give $40 million to do Malignant. <laughs> fucking brilliant. And it's Amazing. probably getting a sequel. <laughs> I, God's sake, like, don't, don't. <laughs> Because you know they're going to think of something else to try and top it. Oh yeah, they're going to go, they're going to go, wait, do people like this enough to get a sequel? We need to work out how we can take this, but make this batshit. 
Hell yeah, hell yeah. Oh, how exciting. Yep. Um, my number six, sorry, I lost count there, uh, is Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. Um, another one that is just true to form, as in, of course, Mark liked The Card Counter. Um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a weird cast that kind of makes sense, the fact that you've just got essentially... Oscar Isaacs, Tiffany uh, um, Haddish, Ty Sheridan, um, and Willem Dafoe. It kind of feels like they feel like the sort of people where you'd where they could both be picked out at random um, out of a generator, but then when you put them together, it it, it does work and it works really well. Um, Oscar Isaacs and Tiffany Haddish have a really a really good um, chemistry together. Um, it's interesting seeing um, in, in, a, in a non-comedic role um, within this movie, uh, and she's she's really good at it. Uh, Oscar Isaac's just he very much has always been an actor who has done essentially kind of whatever he wants. And has managed to become like a a proper movie star, would you say, yeah? Um He's not like I, I, I think I think Moon Knight is gonna do very well for him in just a kind of like a general everyone kind of thing. It, I d I don't know what awareness of him there would be outside of film people. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know the Star Wars thing you say because there is that uh, the element there, but like he didn't go, he didn't, he he, he seems to be an actor who who he made Star Wars, but I think because he wanted to be in the Star Wars movies, not just because it was like right, this will elevate me to the next level. Um, but Card Counter is very much Paul Schrader essentially using his first uh, reformed. Um, like little bump that he had there because he's not a director who's not been making movies he has been making movies it's just they've all been a bit crap um, and then First Reform comes out and it, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic movie and he uses that to jump on to you know grabbing a good cast and a little bit of a budget and then yeah makes The Card Counter a movie that he quite easily could have made um, with James Kahn in the in the 70s or the early 80s yeah, yeah, so you're right. Would have yeah, been exactly absolutely. the same movie. It is a a very slow builder um, that, that that gets to the end and doesn't even have that huge payoff. It has it has the scene that happens in another room and then brings you, but brings that the the the, the bit that's happened then brings it out to you. So you don't get to see what happened. Mm. You get to hear it, and you get to see the aftermath. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a bit of fuck you filmmaking. With that, um, yeah. it, it, you know, you could say maybe they didn't have the budget, maybe they didn't have the choreography, they didn't have the time to work out how to do all of that. I just think it was Schrader either couldn't be bothered or just wrote it like that. <laughs> And I, I kind of love that. He's a contrarian yeah. prickish Schrader, but 
you know, he, he, I think he's one of those few people who I'm not quite sure he has the talent that he thinks he has. But then again, he still has a lot more talent than most people. I don't know. He just he feels like like one of the last, not not necessarily a dying breed because it feels like we still got ten, twenty years out of some of them, but of that group of filmmakers who are just like. I made some meteoric works and yes, alright, there might be troubling aspects to them now, but fuck you. You know, like, and it, it, it feels like it feel, he, he feels like that and I love how iconoclastic he is. And it, it, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a massive sh- shame when Trader's gone, but it's great. And he, he, Maybe it's the exception that proves the rule, but when Tarantino's like, you know, I don't want to be one of those filmmakers who just fucking goes out making their their, their least work, it felt like Schrader was going to be doing that for a good long while. But he's really come out of that tailspin, and I I hope that continues. Yeah, that's it. You know, the he 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 was done. Yeah, like he was done before first reformed. And now he's come out with like two really solid fucking bits of work. That's it. He's got one. Um, he's making movie next um, with Sigourney Weaver and Joel Edgerton. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean that that cracking. You know, I mean it's it's like Coppola, like uh, Megopolis. He, he looks like it's going to be underway, and he's got a good cast for that, and he's got. He's basically self-financing with like a hundred million dollar budget, and it's like, God, would it not be fucking amazing to see Francis Ford Coppola go out on a banger? Yeah, because I mean, what was his last movie? Twixt. Twixt, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, he's, you know, there's there's an argument to suggest. Jesus Christ, that is a good cast. Um, oh, and John Voight. Um, Oh God! All right, uh, but, but John Boyd has now changed to rumored. <laughs> so maybe Coppola's told him to oh, oh. to get the fuck out. <laughs> mm. Or maybe a few other people have gone. Yeah, no, on the John Voight thing there, yeah. Franny. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised after that fucking that video. Uh, Trump is possessed by the spirit of Abraham Lincoln shit. Or yeah, what he came out with? Fucking hell. Um, so, what is your number five, Ian? Uh, my number five is Flea. Ooh. So, uh, again, it's another one. Uh, well, it's the last one uh, that I'll be talking about uh, that I discussed pretty much solely on the uh, LFF um, podcast. Um, but yeah, this is an animated documentary, but also international feature, directed by uh, Jonas Apoa Rasmussen. And uh, it tells the story of a, uh, a gentleman by the name of um, Amin, who um, flees... Um, oh, flees, uh, as it says... Um, his uh, home country um, with his family uh, when it, it oh you're right 
Yeah, sorry, one of a thing video thing cropped up on my iPad when I was oh, looking okay. at IMDb for Flea. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Sorry. Um, so yeah, he he Flea. Um, he it basically tells the story of when he was young, uh, kind of younger. Um, he he tries to flee Afghanistan with his family, and he goes through human trafficking basically. Um, but or and. Um, and they're kind of like the travails of his earlier life trying to find a home. Um, while also um, being um, uh, gay. Um, so, holy fucking shit. A guy in Afghanistan trying to flee Afghanistan, finding it really difficult to leave Afghanistan. Um, finding fucking refuge in Russia... And being gay. Wow. I mean, um, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's almost like a man has picked all of the worst things you can do at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and it, it basically cuts between his life now, where he's an academic and he's got a long-term boyfriend. Um, and he's... Um, very like his boyfriend wants to kind of like set up home together and move to the country and kind of like just make a life together and he's constantly feeling like he might have to like he's a little bit like robert de niro in heat (laughs) it's like you know like maybe not 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 quite like don't have anything in your life that you can't leave 30 seconds flat um but constantly just like something is going to happen where i am going to need to leave and he's just very very on edge for the whole thing and through through the film he reveals something which i'm not going to spoil but almost kind of like it feels like legally it could have gotten him into trouble um through a disclosure that he makes in this that he's never told anyone um and it's I mean, it's nothing dodgy he hasn't committed, I, he hasn't committed like a um a crime against anyone but he's kind of like broken the law and lied um and it, it it's this the animation styles differ through the film and a very, very, very evocative. So, like the the first time when it flashbacks, uh, flashes back even, goes back to Afghanistan in the nineteen eighties, and he's running around. I think he's like flying a kite or something, if I remember correctly, and listening to "Take on Me," and the animation is like really vivid and full of life. But then there are these sequences where he's basically being people trafficked. And it, it, it's it's almost completely monochrome and just like um, kind of like brush strokes as opposed to anything fully featured in the animation. Um, but then when it's um, like the present day stuff, it, it's I, I, I was reminded of uh, Richard, Richard Lignate's Waking Life in like the animation style there. Um and it, it just, it's absolutely captivating. I mean, it, it, like, just such an experience to watch. And I watched it on just, like, a virtual screening link on my laptop during LFF. And seeing this on the big screen would have been a hell of a thing, actually. A, a hell of a thing. Um, 
And it's a film that could make Oscar history being nominated for Best Documentary, Best Animated Feature and uh, Best International Feature. Um, and I really hope it wins at least one of them. At least one, yeah. Um, I think, to be fair, I think it's probably got its best chance at Best Documentary. Best, in- best International Feature, I think, could be drive my car could be the worst person in the world um but i i'd love to see this win animated i, I think fucking encanto is going to get it to be honest at this point yeah it probably um is. yeah so it's uh, the yeah, most known yeah. one right now <laughs> yeah quite quite um but i think flea's biggest comp- competition is probably the rescue which is directed by the people who won uh, who won the oscar a couple years back for free solo so I think that might count against them. So yeah, um, but yeah, Flea. It's a wonderful bit of work, um, and I think it's getting a release here in the next month or so. So yeah, ah, it's nice. really, really worth watching. Can actually, catch it. Yeah, yeah. So my number. Oh, fuck! I keep running up getting numbers here. Five. Yes. There we go. Number five uh, is. Um, Amir Thompson, uh, better known as Questlove. Uh, it's his documentary, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Oh, fuck, I, I, I tried to make a fit this one in and I couldn't. Yeah, it's... Um, fuck. So, basically, a documentary um, about um, the... Um, I'm trying to remember what it's specifically called. The Harlem Cultural Festival. Uh, in 1969, um, which was a series of festivals, um, sort of dedicated to to black culture uh, within within Harlem, um, and then these were professionally um, were professionally shot uh, by a, a proper TV film crew, um, and then the footage was just. Literally hidden away. Um, mm. So then Questlove makes a documentary film which essentially is like the best bits of the doc of, of the, the the festival um, over I think it's five um, over like five weekends. Um, it's like all of the, the best bits, but then peppers it with history of what was going on at the time um, in the in the black community, not just around Harlem, but in in, in America in general, and why this was an important time um, for black culture, and why it was. Um, but also looks into well, why wasn't this shown? You know, this was these weren't like little events; they were huge, you know, events. Um, and also, but then the genius fit that he does is he tracks down people that were there, uh, not only the acts, some of the acts that were there, but the actual people who'd gone to it and talks to them. And there's a great bit of it of, of somebody literally going, I genuinely thought I might have just imagined this because there was nothing about it. It's just become mm. forgotten. Um, and then you've got That's crazy. You, yeah. You've got one of the one of the acts um, from it, and they're saying, and he's showing them it, and they're going, "We've never seen this. It's the biggest audience we've ever played to, ever, and it's one of the most important 
you know, it's one of the most important gigs of our lives. And this is the first time we've ever got to watch it. This is amazing. Um, and it's so it's it's but it's a really vibrant, fun, you know, documentary. You don't you don't need to know the music. Um, Quetzal is literally going to guide you through it and just show you how much fucking fun and joy this music um, is. So you've got bits from like Stevie Wonder in there, Goddess Night in the Pips, Sly and the Family Stone, Fifth Dimension, and Nina Simone, and people like this. And it's just, it's a really great watch. I watched it one that's like Saturday night um, with a with a takeaway, and it was just a, and a few beers, and it was it was a really great watch. I believe it is on Disney Plus. Yeah, it is indeed. I didn't get that. Thank you, Siri. Yes, you, you just recorded everything that I just said <laughs> and then said, I didn't quite get that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, really, right. really good documentary. Yeah, I need to watch that. And I will, because it's going to get nominated for Best Documentary of the Oscars. And I will do the thing I did last year and watch every single fucking film that was nominated. <laughs> um, and I will. Um I need a pee. All right, we, we'll break for you to go for a pee. Uh, I'm going to get a drink, and yep. then we'll come uh, back with surprises. Cool. Here's some ads for other podcasts we want to fuck. Damn right we do. Um, hey, Hannah, you know, I think you really can't be a good rewatch of a TV show. Would you agree with that, love? Oh, yes, I would. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think during, you know, global pandemics, storms, all of these things, it's quite nice to just sit down and burn through something that you've seen a million Absolutely times. Absolutely nothing like a binge watch. Star Trek. Babylon 5. Because you could sit there for hours looking at serial killer documentaries. Absolutely. Uh, that Netflix. doesn't make you a weird person uh, at all. It doesn't. Yeah, you could watch documentaries that all seem to be about women killing men. Love you, darling. You could put off watching Daredevil for the 30th time. Harry Potter. But really, you can't be immersing yourself in the warm jumper of a rewatch of a show of or a, a franchise. beloved franchise. A beloved franchise. Lord of the Rings. Twin Peaks. From VHS compilations recorded off television with the ad breaks, cut out of course, to DVD box sets of Sex in the City and, I don't know, Smallville. <laughs> Farscape Quantum Leap To giving up finding new content on Netflix And just having a comfort trawl through Star Trek The Next Generation Or Parks and Recreation I think that we can all agree There's a lot to be said for that You can't beat a good rewatch So, with that in mind Join Anna And Mike From Chinstroke vs. Panzer As we burn through some of our favourite franchises And share our immediate reactions to each instalment In both spoiler and non-spoiler sections To do that, do a search for The Rewatch Project With Hannah and Mike On Apple Podcasts, Spotify Or whichever your favourite podcast provider may be or go directly to anchor.fm forward slash rewatch project. We are proud members of the Pod Syndicate family of podcasts. Have you ever wondered what so called family films will scar your kids forever? Putting four and five year olds in front of this movie, it's like if they didn't know what death was before this, they're gonna know it after it. They're gonna know it after it, and they're gonna be freaking terrified. And they're gonna be questioning you. Yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, the Dark Knight has got like all the orphans, and like, oh no, we're gonna die. 
they did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, I was like, kill them. Then look no further. The His Film, Her Movie podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hello. Hey. Right, cool. Right, ready to kick on. Go on then, Ian. What are your top five surprises of the year? Oh, shit. Let's go. Right, so... Uh, my number five is Finch. Nice. Um, and I think just because it was a film that had been out in the ether for a while. Um, so uh, Universal originally had it, and it was originally titled BIOS, and um, it just seemed to be kind of like being moved around the schedule and whatnot. And then Apple bought it, and you know, Apple bought Greyhound in twenty twenty, and. Greyhound was good, you know, it was a decent film. Um, but, you know, Finch, it just felt like the kind of thing that, like, you'd imagine if um, it was made in the 80s, the kind of thing that Amblin would have made. Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. Just a very, like, very, like, nice, but not without fret tale of connection, you know, with fun, danger... Uh, you know, comedy, suspense, and I just, yeah, no, I thought, I thought it really worked. Actually, did Finch, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I fucking properly teared up at the end as well. Well, or like at the bit towards the end. So yeah, Finch. Um, number four is the Many Saints of Newark, um, because I have barely any connection to the Sopranos, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I, like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it's a good film. Yeah, just like really good world building and whatnot, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I was kind of thinking, like, shit, is this just going to be like two and a half hours of shit? I don't really understand. <laughs> but I thought it told a pretty complete story. To be fair, that's it. I, I mean, you, yeah, you, you it did, does. You didn't need to understand it, but I think if you did, you'd probably get more out of it. But you got easily enough out of it, just not. Yeah, quite, yeah. And I mean, like, yes, there's that young Tony Soprano stuff and now people are talking about could there be an HBO Max series about the young life of Tony Soprano? Would I watch it? No. Um, but I don't think it necessarily derailed from the film either. So, yeah, many suits in Newark. Uh, my number three, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Um, because, I, you know, like, it just... The the only trailer that I think came out was basically them kind of like moving their feet to a song or something. And it was like, what the... What is this? <laughs> um, And then the opening ten minutes come along. It's like that kid fucking singing along to that song. And then it, it being right. Kristen Wiig is also playing some sort of evil like criminal who is trying to I, I can't even remember something about bees or something I, I don't know but and it was like what the fuck is happening 
and just all through that film, it was like the film that surprised me the most during the film, as much as anything else. But it was just like I wasn't expecting anything from this. It looked, it just looked like a complete vanity project. It was like that Lionsgate just dumped out on home video release in February. The fact, I mean, to be fair, the fact that it was planned to get a theatrical release is still fucking mental. Um, I remember um, uh, Cineworld were like their kind of like promotional trailers. They were like talking about what's coming out this year, and I'd always notice Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar and just be like. In, in like the the titles flashing across the screen, yeah. it was like you taking the piss. <laughs> yeah, um, there's always one of those random odd ones, isn't there? In there. Yeah, I mean, it was like God. I remember like working at the cinema and getting the trailer in for Angus Fong's and Full Frontal Snogging. Oh man! And just being like, that's not a film. That's got to be a fucking code name for a trailer, like because sometimes we get trailers with code names on in that you know you know because they're for something else, and it, it, and I thought it was one of those, and it was like no shit, that's a film, it's a real film, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Barb and Star, good film, funny. Um, and, and Donna and I had a fucking great time watching that. I gotta say, like really worked for the both of us. Uh, my number two is Antlers. Ooh, yes, I still need um, to watch this. Yeah, and, it, you know, basically because before, pre-watching it, people were like, well, this is a horror film directed by a person who doesn't like horror, and this is just elevated horror. Blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's a perfect film, but it is fucking creepy, and it's got some gnarly body horror in it, and it is mean. It is a fucking mean film. And it feels like Scott Cooper does know his shit. And I will say, the same people who were fucking bumming censor, but going, oh, well, no, Antlers is obviously made by somebody who doesn't like, know, or really like horror at all. Fuck off. There you go. Number two is Antlers. My number one, Free Guy. Free Guy is fucking great. Free Guy was number 16 on my list. Ah, oh, that's, that's great, that. Because honestly, it was it was one of those ones where I watched it and I really, I really liked Free Guy. And I thought, this is either going to really hit with Ian or it's really not. Freak, honestly, it was one of my birthday films this year, along with Snake Eyes. And, you know, Snake Eyes, good film, great fucking closing credits. Yes. That film needed to have that energy more. But, yeah, Free Guy, just great hangover therapy. And then I watched it at home with Donna and had just as good a time. It is a sweet and good-natured film, which... Does a great job at world building, gives Jodie Comer loads of stuff to do, but also lets Ryan Reynolds do his thing. I like Ryan Reynolds doing his thing. Hitman's wife's bodyguard wasn't far off my surprises list as well, quite frankly. 
because um, of how much I liked it. I mean, I like the first one, but Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard is fucking fun. Like, really, really fun. That, the ending of that film is incredible. Um, and everybody fully knows what they're doing with that. But Free Guy, it, it, it's terrific. I think it is great mainstream entertainment. Like that. That's it. That yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I look forward to watching it again. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I I I I rewatched it recently, and it's really, really sweet and charming and, and wonderful. It's just a lovely film. It's a lovely fucking film. Yep. Uh, so my surprises are um, number five, Eight uh, Bit Christmas. Oh, sweet. Yeah. 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 Um, in the sense, I'm not surprised I like this, but I'm, I am a little bit surprised at how much I like this. And now it is firmly set in my brain as, yep, that is a movie I'm going to watch every single Christmas for the rest of time. Nice. Uh, my number four is The Unholy, uh, which was the first film I went back to the cinema to watch... Because Hell yeah. um, we missed Spiral. Um, we both got out of work like a little bit late or something like that between me and Bex. And so we, we missed Spiral. Um, but then The Unholy was literally playing like quarter of an hour later. So we're like, yeah, we'll go and see that. We, it was just, we will go and see anything. We just wanted to go to the cinema. Because it had been like, what, six months nearly that point. It was the longest point, wasn't it? It was like yep. it was longer than the first lockdown. So yeah, the unholy. Yeah, and then it was actually really. I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so it's one of nice. those. Number three, Eternals. Yeah, fair, if, fair, if, totally. If you'd have explained to me at the start of the year, just after I watched Nomad uh, Land, um, that the director of that movie would direct possibly my second favourite Marvel movie of this year um, then yeah I'd have been like yeah go fuck yourself but no that that's kind of what happened yeah uh, I like Eternals mm. I can see why other people don't but I I like it it's it's a bit daft <laughs> but I'm not even sure that it knows it's daft and I think that's kind of what I like. That's a good point. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, my number two is Barb and Star go to Mr. Del Mar. Hell yeah. Good man. Because that film, again, is, is just, is, is daft again, but it also contains Jamie Dornan singing to a pigeon, I think it is, or a seagull. Um... I think it's a seagull, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And then climbing a tree, climbing a palm tree with his bare hands. <laughs> it's nice. That man's that man's post um, Fifty Shades work is 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 interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I I very much enjoyed uh, Balenciaga, Mister Del Mar. Yeah, I think it came along at exactly the right time. Nice. Uh, and my number one, uh, which was also, I think, my number 17 mm. movie, uh, is The Mitchell versus the Machines. Um, oh, yeah. Just a, a, a massive. Um, like, it's 
there's a possibility I think that it throws too much at the screen um, in terms of it, it is for the first sort of 10-15 minutes it is throwing a joke at you every sort of 7 or 8 seconds uh, that it almost gets a little bit too much uh, but yeah, the hit rate on it is is incredible in terms of it should comedies should not land that higher percentage of their jokes. They just shouldn't. No, nope, uh, but it works. Yep. Right. What's your number four, Ian? My number four is Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter. Very nice. We reviewed it a few weeks back. The Lost Daughter is a it's just a great fucking film. It um yeah, it is impeccably acted from all involved. I was wrapped up in its fucking nervous energy for the entire runtime. Um, the scene where Olivia Coleman is having to go at those guys disrupting the cinema showing, just yeah. Absolutely there with you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think I'll refer people to our review a, a few episodes back. To be honest, but it, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal has obviously just been around the block in terms of film, like being on film sets enough that she just knows what to do. It's an incredibly knows- assured piece of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. As a directorial debut, it's insane, mm. you know. And it's like, yeah, she's probably had a head start, but good honour. Yeah, you know, it's. I this played chapter in Cardiff before Christmas, and I wish I had the time to go see it on the big screen. And it was it was a film that I went to uh, like to watch just as a right. Got to get this in then. And you know, and it it really kind of re just fired my. There's still good shit around, you know. For for everything that I've talked about over the past couple of years about um, content, content, content. You know, everything's got to have fucking cameos or multiverses or connecting to things. Now, do you know what? Sometimes somebody like Maggie Gyllenhaal and the very talented cast and crew. Can, and and one of the best scores of the year as well, by the way, can just fucking go and make this, and it's great. It, it, it's a terrific film, and God, I'd love it if she got a fucking screenplay nomination out for this. It, it would, oh, it'd be so well deserved. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm here for whatever the fuck she does in the future. Like brilliant, yeah. You'd hope that that, that that this isn't just like a I just I had an idea for a director thing, and I'm, I'm I probably won't do another one. You you kind of go no 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 please make more. No, I mean this is the thing. It's like a lot of people are really amped for Olivia Wilde's follow up to Booksmart. Don't worry, darling. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. We'll see. You know, I, I'm 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 up for that, and and I am, but. Mm. I don't know, it kind of feels like she was like straight away, right, what's my next thing? Let's go, go, go. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take some uh, hopefully sl- more slower and more considered stuff that Gyllenhaal wants. I, you know, like in the uh, actress's directorial debut stakes, The Lost Daughter, absolutely fucking 
Cleveland steamers all over Booksmart. Yeah. Um, yes, without question. And, yeah. One is one is a grown up movie. The other is Booksmart. I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. And you know, like when I, when I was talking about the worst person in the world and like kind of culture moving on and whatnot. In five, ten years, there's going to be some shit in Booksmart that people fucking take against. Oh god, yeah. And 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 like you know, people are going to be fucking. I, I you know, it, it just it, it's going to happen because that's what happens with culture now. But then it's like the people, the folks. I don't know. I'm sure there are people who genuinely love Booksmart, but there's just some people who just seem to be jumping on a fucking bandwagon with that film, and it did fucking nothing, and it's had the cultural Im- imprint of a fucking. Bart. Yep. Um, anyway, sorry, I don't know why I'm book smart bashing. Lost Daughter is fucking brilliant, and I hope Maggie Gyllenhaal is really, really fucking happy with how people have responded to it. Yes. Yeah, great film. Uh, didn't quite make my what is that? I think it didn't hit quite hit me as much as it hit you, but yeah, it's it's a really, really good film. I was literally WhatsApping Noel all the way through that fucking thing, Mark. Like just. She's just blah blah blah, and now this has happened. What's happening? <laughs> you know, it's just like like uh, oh, 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 I was vibing hard. Yeah, it's great when that happens, don't it? Oh yeah. Um, my number four. I'm not sure if you've seen this yet. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. So my number four is Belfast. Uh, yeah, no, fair enough. Fuck, that's in your top ten. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh no. Um, I wa- Why did I watch the three-hour-long Japanese film when I could have watched Belfast? Uh, what I will say what? is Belfast is ninety-eight minutes long. <laughs> Fuck! I could have watched that and Petite Maman in the same amount in less time. In less time, Mark. You Fuck. actually could have done, yeah. Um, I won't go too much into like the actual. Uh, well, the thing is, Belfast oh. is a very, very simple story. It's oh, but I'm sure it's fucking beautiful. And fuck me, sorry, it's, Mark. It's 1969. It's set in, funnily enough, in Belfast, um, and. It tells the story of uh, Buddy, played uh, by Jude Hill, uh, who is nine years old and uh, is from a Protestant family. And essentially, the the world that's around him, uh, which he can't quite understand, what's wrong? Why does some other Protestants hate the Catholics? And should I hate the Catholics? But that isn't the actual crux of the story. The crux of the story is just his day-to-day kind of life. So he's got a crush on a girl. Uh, his dad has to, play by Jamie Dornan, has to work in England, so he only gets to see him like every um, weekend. And there's all of... Every other weekend. And there's, there's all of these bits going on. Um, I, I'm baffled, like genuinely baffled... Um, how nobody's mentioning um, Catherine Belf, um, who plays his oh, she, his mother. She's gonna get she's gonna get a best supporting actress nomination, mate. Don't worry about that. Yeah, she absolutely should. She is incredible in this. I I also love the fact that 
Buddy is is, is credited as Buddy. Um, Katrina Beth is credited as Ma. Jamie Darden is credited as Pa. <laughs> Judy Dench is credited as mm. Granny. And uh, Kieran Hines is credited as Pop. Mm. Kieran Hines is fantastic in this. It's just... I won't go too much into it because I, I, I think you should watch it. Uh, it's a really... It's a really sweet, fun, often funny, but tells the story it's telling at the same time as well. There is some, oh, fuck, okay, bits in it. Um, Bex turned around to me at one point. uh, By the way, Bex turned around to me at one point and said, she is fucking incredible to look at. About Katrine Beth. Mm. <laughs> I was like, mm. yes, Becky, she is. And it's like, yeah, I am, she's a striking woman. She is intoxicating to watch. It's like, yeah, yes, Becky, she's intoxicating to watch. Um, there is a a bit where Jamie Dornan um, sings Everlasting Love to her um, and they dance, and it is just, it's glorious. Two films this year where Jamie Dornan sings bits that are glorious. Belfast is Hell yeah. is very good and it does look brilliant. It's a really it's it's the best film Branner's made in a while. And Branner can be hit and miss. Mm. Mm. It's yeah, really, mm. really, really enjoyed my time with it. Oh man. What's your number three? Fuck. Is it drive my car? (laughs) (sighs) Fuck. Alright, just while we're talking about it. Drive my car. That film is a good film. Good film. Right? Spent three hours over the last couple of days in year-end cram watching it. And it's nowhere fucking near any of my lists. I am fuming. <laughs> can't can't be helped. It can't be helped. But that film is a solid four out of five. Solid four out of five. But it's three hours long. But it's three hours long. And yeah, like that film did not need to be three hours long. I am so fucking sorry, film Twitter. But no. <laughs> and I think it's going to win Best International Feature. It is, yeah. It fucking doesn't deserve it. It is, mate. It just it. Uh, there's three contenders in my top ten. So, you know, I'm not being myopic. But it doesn't fucking deserve it. So, yeah. Cool. Very cool, buddy. You're you're, uh, you're pissed off about your wife dying and you not quite knowing about the mysteries of her. You could have said that in two and a half at least. You know, just come on. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't need the extra half hour. You break. Didn't need it. Didn't need it. It's a good film. It's driving my car and I recommend it. But if you're cramming for shit, nah, mate, you can let it wait. 
right. My number three, yeah? Yep. Uh, my number three is Lynn manuel Miranda's Tick, Tick, Boom. Very nice. Um, yeah, it's it's great, you know. And, hey, I don't hate Lynn manuel Miranda, folks. You know, like, In the Heights, not great. Tick, Tick, Boom, fucking brilliant. I think that uh, he has a very sure hand on what works cinematically. I think, again, for a directorial debut, very, very, very assured. Um, Andrew Garfield has never been better, uh, despite what some uh, Spider-Man Nowhere Home people might say. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's been as good as this since The Social Network. Um, it, it, it's a fully lived-in performance. Great cast, great, uh, fantastic musical numbers that are like, like, like you said, Mark, the fucking earworms. Like thirty ninety, that's, that's a fucking a fantastic great one. fucking yeah. song. The, the, Jesus I, I, Christ! I, the beauty of Tick Tick Boom is you can talk to several people that have seen it and that really really like it, and everybody will have a different favorite song. Yeah, quite. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like a lot of people like Boho Days, absolutely. Uh, the the one that he sings to Alexander Ship, um, and uh, like he's singing that to her and Hudgens, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, in that moment, yeah, yeah, like that's great. Therapy, that you know that that that's fantastic, and I like that Vanessa Hudgens has been like, all right, Netflix, I'll do your fucking princess switch films, but can you make sure I star in the Lin Manuel Miranda film as well? I'm sure that's not how it worked, but I I, I just I think that's great that. She's still also doing work like this. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful film, um, and a, a, just a lovely tribute to a guy who obviously meant a lot to a lot of people, and done in a really fucking interesting way as well. Yeah, you know, it like is. You, it's a really yeah, yeah. I've 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 not seen Respect yet, and I think I might have to because I think Jennifer Hudson might squeak in for a Best Actress nomination. But it's like that kind of like biopic of someone. Yeah, all right, fine. You're just doing a biopic. Here is a uh, you know, something that it, it is admittedly helped by the fact that he kind of chronicled his life anyway. But the fact that it is the telling of his life while also the telling of his play about his life um it's just it's a really interesting structure and i think they make the most of it i'm looking forward to seeing what lin-manuel miranda does behind the camera i hope it's not too long yep i agree so yeah nice one i am to be mad now don't i <laughs> uh, right yes so i've allowed myself this i'm glad you allowed it earlier because um, I haven't allowed myself another that you could say I could have allowed myself. So, right. I didn't allow myself Rocky for the Rocky versus Drago director's cut. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. allow myself that because I thought, I think that's cheating. Even though it is dramatically different, I do think it's cheating because it is sure. taking a level of nostalgia with me along the ride for the movie. So mm. I loved that um, that movie uh, would have easily been in my top ten, but I, I, it, that felt like now this is cheating. 
However, I don't think Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is my number three, is cheating. It is a completely different fucking movie. Uh, It is is 100% a different experience from Joss Whedon's Justice League. Yeah, yeah, 100% Mark. Um, I I like the fact that it, it it is essentially, and I genuinely hope that that that, that this is it for this for, for 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 these characters. Not all of them, because we've got Aquaman and bits like that. But the fact that it teases at the end a movie that we all want to watch is beautiful. Um, it mm-hmm. yep. it is what it's fucking four hours long. It's four and a bit, sorry, uh, hours long, isn't it? Yet, it feels pacier than the, what, under two hours Justice League movie. Um, it's, I'm glad it got made. Uh, I know that there is a backlash against the whole idea of Zack Schneider fanboys and bits like that. But I think there is also... There was a very personal reason why Zack Snyder had to move away from the Justice League movie. Um, and it, that didn't go well for anybody uh, it, it, within that. Um, so the fact that he got to do this and people went back for it, you know, people might not like Zack Snyder movies, they might not like the, the fandom around Zack Snyder movies, and I can agree with that, but let's be honest. There's a lot of toxic fandom out there, and Zack Schneider isn't. He was fighting against it as well uh, for that. But I genuinely do think he might be one of the good guys that everyone is desperate to be. That he's one of the bad guys, um, and mm. Zack Schneider's Justice League is a a very very good film. It is. It is. Like, yeah. Go on. I'm very, very cool. I'm very fucking pleased that that's made an appearance somewhat for both of us. Yeah. I am. It's just. I I toyed with it. At one point, it was my number 10. And then I was like, no, but I like it more than that. And it just kept on going up and up and up. And I was like, that's cool. I don't know whether I I should have it there. And then that made me go, but it's fucking staying there. Hmm. Go on, what's your number two? My number two is uh, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Um, watched it again in the last couple of weeks, and that film holds up beautifully. Um, I watched it this week. I just, I, I think. Shit, you did. Yeah. All right, no, let's just turn to you. What were your thoughts? Um, as somebody who is very. Miss an occasional hit with Wes Anderson. Um, I I really liked the setup. Um, I really liked the um, I like the, the world that it's created. I like the, the style that he's going for. He's, he he has leaned further and further into this style, uh, and I'm kind of digging it. Mm-hmm. I'm all right with it. Um, there, the little Owen Wilson prologue bit was quite fun. Um, I, I enjoyed that um, the Benicio Del Toro 
story was without question the strongest for me. So I I would say overall I enjoyed the French Dispatch, but it does kind of go off a cliff for me a little bit. It's the the, the first part of it is so much stronger for me than the I, the last story was the worst story for me. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, no, fair it, enough. I, I mean, I, I, I really... It, I think if it had have gone the last story first, if it had gone the other way around, the opposite order... Oh, that's interesting. I'd have probably, I'd have probably liked it... I, I probably would have held it in a higher regard. Um, but then there's a the possibility that it might have irked me too much to enjoy the, the last bit. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, but overall, um, I I would say that I enjoyed the French Dispatch. Yeah, I I think the last story is kind of like the most, maybe kind of like the most dynamic. Like there's the most action. So from a kind of like a flow point of view, I kind of I I kind of wonder whether I I could see I I think I can understand why Anderson structured it in the way that he did, mm. but. Yeah, yeah, but no, I mean I, I, that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean I, I really fucking like all three stories, and you know the the middle story has got Francis McDormand and a bunch of fucking French teenagers, which is quite a fucking high bar to clear, I think, to be honest. For for me, um, I like Francis McDormand, but just yeah, I don't know, like she rubs me up the wrong way more than her performances. Um <laughs> but yeah, I um I, I I I just think it's a lovely little trip through these varying stories. I find them all very entertaining in different ways and but it's all shot through with that Wes Anderson secret source that I dig you know, it, it's. I I I think there's that there's a lot of heart and a lot of meaning to this. I mean, like with the the the, the, the McDormand and Chalamet story, the idea of the kind of like the young revolutionary inspiring people in the future, despite the fact that you know he did some really good things in his life, but he was also a bit of a fucking tit who was just young. Yeah, I I I I I I like that. Um, I, I, that's a that's just a, a lovely little bit. Um, but like the in the first story, the relationship between Adrian Brody and Benicio del Toro, where it kind of feels like it's antagonistic, but it's not really. They're just kind of coming at art from two different perspectives, and they seem to realize, like, meet in the middle and realize that at the end. I think I think that's lovely, and. Um, the Jeffrey White stuff. The what is it that he says? I was insufficiently early. <laughs> like if I'm ever late for something, I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I mean that 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 story. I I I. I I don't know. I really liked it. Just the uh, the Chef Ness Cafe. Um, <laughs> it's just the, the 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 way that everybody kind of knows who he is, and even the criminals are like 
is Nescafe there to like make us dinner and that's the thing that provides the the way for the police to get in I I yeah I think it's wonderful um it I yeah I mean, it's it's a tribute to the New Yorker which is a magazine I don't really have any fucking af- uh, affection with but I don't know the whole writing about different things and how you can just appreciate the writing of those things even if they're about subjects that you don't have a connection to personally it, I, it kind of reminds me of film to be honest it, it it's film takes you to many different places and talks about many different topics that you don't necessarily think about in your day to day but the skill of the people who are kind of creating those worlds and telling those stories um, invite you in and make you think about those things. And I think Anderson is kind of trying to tell you, like, give pay tribute to that about the written word and how it can help expand your horizon as as uh, horizons as film has done for me. And uh, yeah, no, I just think it's a. Uh, Lovely bit of work, to be honest. I, I, a very genuine, heartfelt bit of work. And apparently his next one might be out this year and let's fucking go. It's, um, so, yeah. it's one of those where I... There's often with Anderson ones where they just... They are nailed down a chalkboard for me. This wasn't mm. at all. And I can absolutely see if you are... If, if you're an Anderson fan, this would be like just absolutely glorious for 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 those people and i can absolutely see that um i can say i i enjoyed my time with it um and i probably will watch it again to be honest that there yeah, that's great i mean it, it just it, it it further cements that he's in my top five working directors if not top three and I think I, I think I said at the time it's like when I was talking about it on the show originally it's like I didn't quite ever realise that but yeah I I really do realise that now he's extremely my shit good yeah my number two is somebody who is extremely my shit is it cop shop it's not cop shop <laughs> I was okay. telling that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done full of cop shop sabotage, like fuck you, like, fuck you to everybody. <laughs> when I had sabotage in my number ten movie of that year, <laughs> and I Sorry. still stand by that. <laughs> uh, wow. I get the feeling if I said that to Arnold Schwarzenegger, sabotage was my number ten movie of that year, he'd go, "You're a fucking idiot." <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, I am. Uh, my number two um, is Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. Um, okay, yeah. No, yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, of course, that makes way more sense than cops. Yeah. Um, licorice Pizza's just... <laughs> I honestly haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it, and it has gone up so much um, since I watched cool. it. Sorry, I lost you there. No, you're there. You're there. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's just it's it's that perfect little look. This is just a slice of life. There's nothing. 
Nothing happens. There's nothing world-changing that happens within this. It is just a series of fucking stupid stories that people have been told set around these two people that might kind of be arseholes. <laughs> and mm. I'm alright with that. It's it's a hangout movie that doesn't ever really hang out. It's um it's it's zany in a way that isn't shouting look at me how zany I am. Um and it's it's a filmmaker just making a film and it's very easy, and I think there's, there's comparisons to be made between uh, your number two um, and the filmmaker who made it, and my number two and the filmmaker who made it, in the sense that these are absolutely 100% auto filmmakers. And mm. we keep getting told by the film world that. Oh, we don't get these auto filmmakers anymore. It's like, yeah, we do. There's loads of them. There's, there, there are as many around now as there were in the seventies when you know the auto filmmaker had its its boom. There are they're, they're there, and their films are getting made. It's just that there's also more blockbusters than there used to fucking be. Because they didn't exist mm. as much then. It's, it, it's. I just hope that Paul Thomas Anderson just continues to just make the fucking films he wants to make, and I hope that we get the next one is one of his more serious ones, and then we get another just fucking hangout movie. Um, I can't wait to see Licorice Pizza again. Uh, I wish that. I, I wish that it, it that it had come out when I was able to have been able to travel to go and see one of the seventy mil prints of it. Mm. Um, but the way that travelling is at the moment, and you know the fact that it's fucking January uh, doesn't help. I mean, it's a, it, I mean to be fair, friend of the show James Lawrence fucking travelled down to London yeah. from the north and got fucked. Yeah, that, that's on it. A seventy millimeter presentation of that. So yeah, I can see. Yeah, that that's it. If I'd have done that, I'd have I would have been angrily crying. Yeah, I, I should have said the Iron Sequels, James Lawrence, yeah. instead of friend of the show, because the Iron, Iron Sequel pod syndicate podcast, damn it. Yep. Uh, Ian, do you want to rattle through your worst ten? Oh, yeah, why not then? Okay, so my number ten is um, Don't Breathe 2. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that's very fair. <laughs> Yeah, it just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, Don't Breathe was already a bit Nasty. fucking, Jesus fucking Christ. And then Don't Breathe too. it's just like, what? And now you want us to fucking feel sorry for him. But he's not any better. <laughs> no, I, I just a fucking mental idea for a sequel. And I know that, like, in the build-up, like, the filmmakers were saying, like, yeah, you know, we want to fucking rattle people's cages and stuff like that. It's like... By, hang on, by what? Like, trying to make us sympathise with a guy who fucking tried to artificially inseminate a fucking Jane Levy. Like, I just, I, it just, no, no. So, there you go, don't breathe too. Don't do another one. Deary. Please do another one. <laughs> yeah, alright. Um, my number nine, which, I'll be honest, I was trying to make this not work to be in my ten, so I could put it as my fucking most disappointing 
Last night in Soho. Ooh. Fair enough. Last night in Soho is a bad fucking film made by someone who fully should know, should be more skilled at telling a story. Like that, there, there you go. It has has got a budget, like a, a, a like a, a big budget by British film standards has created a world which is intoxicating and has decided to cast Thomas in McKenzie who just can't do that role um or just yeah and and has one of the just fucking dumbest third acts I've seen in quite some time um and has the guy from Attack the Block, bless him, fair play for Edgar Wright casting him and giving him work and whatnot, but is a complete wet blanket compared <laughs> to everybody else on screen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It It feels like a film about a teenage girl finding her way in the world directed by a guy who's nearly in his 50s. <laughs> Yeah. That, 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 there you go. And yeah, it's not a good film. And I hope Wright listens to the constructive criticisms about it. It'll be intriguing to see what he does next. What he next. does next, yeah. For sure. And I, I, I you know, I, I, I come from a place, I, I have a great deal of time for Edgar Wright. We re reviewed Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World last year. I, I think that film's wonderful, and I I, I know you don't, um, but it, it's I didn't want to hate like last night in Soho. I really, really, really didn't. Um, but I I I think that is a film that is uh, the the big terrifying scary city is bad to women. My God. I, I I don't know. I don't think it's something that's anything new, and it feels like it really thinks it is. So <laughs> there you go. My number nine worst film of the year is last night in Soho. My number eight is a film that I'd forgotten I watched this year: Dog Tanyon and the Three Muskerhounds, <laughs> which um it, it basically I mean like I, I I took lots to see it and it just like the bare minimum of absolutely every single element of the film <laughs> every single element of that film is minimum viable product <laughs> that's fair really really bad film um my number seven sorry I'll speed up my number seven Neil Blomkamp's demonic oh god um, yeah you watched that didn't you <laughs> Yeah, that's a fuck. That You're the person who watched it, Phil. <laughs> I am the person who watched it. Me and the people at Fright Fest. The fact that Fright Fest had this as I think it might have been their opening night. I think film. it was, yeah. And it and it was out on digital download the day <laughs> after. <laughs> and you're paying how much to go to fucking Fright Fest anyway? Um, well done. You got a video introduction for Neil Blomkamp. I'm sure that was worth the fucking two hundred quid you had to pay this year. Um. My number six, yes, my number six, is The Woman in the Window. 
Um, Don, do you remember watching The Woman in the Window? Yeah. What did you think of it? Alright. It was alright, okay. That's So, for Don, it was alright, because Don watches a lot less films than me over the course of a year. It's bad saying it, though. No, there you go. Um, would you say it was one of the worst films you watched this year? I remember. Okay, thank you. Um, to be fair, there's a lot of like um, the Netflix Christmas stuff that you watched that probably would have been hey. worse. Well, oh shit! All right, no, I've rattled a cage. Not of that. Um, the, the, so you, you enjoy those films, and I love that you enjoy those films. What? No, no, I enjoy some of those films. Don goes down a rabbit hole. Don could have her own podcast about the fil- those the films that she watches. The thing is, I, I, that's a rabbit hole I'd love to fucking Sorry. go down because I bet some of those are just great. <laughs> Sorry, Don, say again? Oh, you watched a couple this year. You only watched a couple this year? Mm. Oh, okay. Just All right. classics. Sorry? Just the classics. What, what are the classic Netflix Christmas Netflix films? Christmas. Sorry? The night before Christmas. Yeah, no, I agree. I can't think of any. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the the woman in the window. I mean, like, it, uh, Fox sold it to Netflix, and it's like, yeah, you could see why, really. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, my number five, Space Jam 2. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that, I mean, it's pretty fucking offensive, to be honest <laughs> with you. It's like... It just—it still makes me laugh that they've got the devils, like the nuns from the devils. Again. Yeah, that's fucking bonkers. <laughs> and they're prominent. I, I just like that film is something else. Um, my number four, Red Notice. Right, come on. And the thing is, we're gonna watch the sequels. We are. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> Uh, my number three is a film I talked about on the last show, Dear Evan Hansen. I'll just refer you to the last show. My number two is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Jason, write me and you can suck my dick. I've, I've talked a lot about Ghostbusters Afterlife. My number one worst of the f- film of the year is a film that until very recently I forgot that I watched in a cinema in 2021. Go on. Studio Ghibli's Earwig and the Witch. You fucking hate that movie, don't you? Like, right. You, you you are a public warning system for that movie. If somebody says they're going to watch it, you just go, you don't need to. I watched it. You don't need to. I almost want to... Seriously, I almost want to set up a Twitter bot. <laughs> it's just like whenever anybody mentions it, it's just like... You don't need to watch that. I feel... So, uh, the Ghibli Tech podcast uh, released a book last year, which is incredible. Um, Cunningham and Leader, amazing work, guys. Like, that book is brilliant. I feel so fucking bad that they had to include Earwig and the Witch. (laughs) Like, it... I, I, I just... Goro Miyazaki, right? When Hayao Miyazaki is like... He talking about Tales of Earthsea and, and saying like it was a film made with the best of intentions or whatever fucking passive-aggressive stuff he came out with about that. What the f- fuck must he have said to, uh, about, to Goro about Earwig and the Witch? I mean, 
honestly, if Studio Ghibli already was like limiting its wasn't limiting its output, it would put them in the fucking sea. It would bury them thousands of fathoms deep. It's I. It, it it just it it genuinely feels like it just they just couldn't finish it that they just ran out of money. In in both the facts that the story ends in a way that literally Lottie at the time seven years old looked up at me when the credits started rolling and just said, "Is that it? Where's the rest of it?" <laughs> and it it's. The ending comes at a time where it's like, I really, really want to see how this goes from here because this isn't actually the end of the story. The, the bit that you've ended it at is not actually the end. Oh. And then they, they play out some stuff with like just stills while the credits are rolling. It's like, yes, did you actually not have the money to animate this the, the like the end um but it just it's a story about nothing it's just scenes i mean my neighbor totoro is a lot of individual episodes and they they, they form a whole at the end with how it comes together at the end even if you had what the end of the year the wig and the witch should have been it still wouldn't have made any fucking sense of what had been happening in the film prior it's awful awful filmmaking and the fact that the fucking Studio Ghibli logo comes up at the start of it honestly it's almost making me fucking tear up it is such a fucking insult to the legacy of that studio and Goro Miyazaki, I honestly, I hope he never forgives himself for it. Like, what was he doing? I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are other factors at play. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just the Japanese culture. But it's the kind of thing you'd expect any self-respecting person to take their name off of. Awful fucking film. And yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife isn't the worst film of the of the year because Studio Ghibli made that. <laughs> I, I I I was surprised when it wasn't when when Ghostbusters Afterlife wasn't your number one. <laughs> and it, 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 uh, honestly, Ghostbusters Afterlife doesn't deserve to be the worst of the film of the year when Earwig and the Witch exists. And I'm really. Fucking annoyed about <laughs> It's robbed you of being able to call it the worst film of the year. No, yeah, yeah, but I'm being truthful. I can't, in all honesty, say that Ghostbusters Afterlife is worse because it's not. Nope. It's also, I'll, I'll give you a, what is it? Ghostbusters Afterlife is not my worst film of the year either. Um, oh. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not. And just to say, Dear Evan Hansen was relatively close to Ghostbusters after. If the last 20 minutes ago, Dear Evan Hansen weren't what they were, it would have been above Ghostbusters Afterlife. But yeah, sorry, Mark. Uh, so mine are number 10, Outside of the Wire, because I literally thought that I watched this about three years ago. Yeah, that, that was 
close to my bottom 10. And I was like, shit, was that last yeah. year? Yeah. Number nine, Chaos Walking. Mm-hmm. Yep. A-, a lesson in, maybe just don't release it. Just don't. Yep. Uh, yep. Number eight, Old. Because it's crap. <laughs> oh, that was almost in my surprises. <laughs> uh, number seven, Spiral from the Book of Saw. Because mm-hmm. it's crap. <laughs> when you are, mm. when you have that much talent and you are a mid-level Saw movie, <laughs> then something mm. is wrong. The best bit of the movie is when fucking Chris Rock decides to do a bit of stand-up at the start. Uh, Number six is Godzilla vs. Kong. Because if you asked me to describe (laughs) anything about that movie, I wouldn't be able to. It is that forgettable. Mm. And it's Godzilla vs. Kong. How can it be that forgettable? Number five, Red Notice. Yes, we're going to watch the sequels and we're going to hate watch them because that's what we are now. Mm. Number four, Midnight in the Switchgrass. I watched this so nobody else (laughs) had to. I should create that bot. (laughs) Except nobody's talking about Midnight in the Switchgrass because it was... That quarter's Bruce Willis movie. It was that week's Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah, movie. Dude. Yeah. Um, number three, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Just go back and listen to like I think it was last week's show. Uh, number two, hell yeah, the woman in the window. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, the woman in the window. Um, just, I, I, I don't understand how it's as bad as it is. But also, I don't understand how Joe Wright got to make another movie. <laughs> and he's just done Cyrano as well. Yeah. A movie that people keep on telling me is great. And it might be. Mm-hmm. But... I don't want to watch <laughs> because I don't like anybody involved apart from Ben Mendelsohn. Mm. And my worst film of the year is Cherry. Fair enough. Fucking fair enough. Cherry looks literally like a bunch of drama brats. I'm not talking like university level. I'm talking about like six formers somehow managed to make a movie and get Apple to finance it. But it wasn't. This was the Russo brothers, the people who did, you know, some of the the biggest grossing movies of all time. And then they made this. Mm. It is... I like some of the people involved. I like Tom Holland. This is fucking awful. And it's two and a bit hours long. Why? Mm-hmm. 
it's not even that it's not a new story it's not a well told story it's not a good story it's just a it's a really really bad film and it makes you go do you know what maybe the Russo brothers aren't that great they just got lucky We'll, we'll, we'll see. They got that Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling action film for Netflix. We'll, we'll see what comes of that. But yeah, mm, yeah. I have a feeling I number one's the same film. Weirdly, yeah, yeah. Okay, shall we? Shall we say it together? Yes. Three, two. One No Time to Die. No Time to Die. Yes. Fuck. How is that your... I mean, that's great. That's great. I, that's terrific. I, I will give the reason. The reason why it, it is my number one, and it unequivocally has to be my number one. Um, and it's not just the fact that it, it's a very good movie. Um, it is because the reaction I had to it in the cinema, watching it, to the last 15, 20 minutes, was up there as, like, some of my best cinema experiences ever. Oh, yeah. Um, Just, I'm not... Because you you are a Bond fan. I'm not a Bond fan, but I've been a Daniel Craig Bond film fan. And for them to do that, and to do what they did with it uh, was incredible. And to get... Uh, I genuinely think that the best male performance I have seen from an actor this year is Daniel Craig in No Time to Die, but it won't even get spoken about because it's a Bond movie, and that is wrong. Mm-hmm. That is gatekeepering of the highest fucking order. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, No Time to Die is one of those things where I, I I do think it's artificially boosted in some sense for myself because it is a film that I laid a lot of groundwork for, as as patrons will know. Um, you know, like for, for non-patrons or people new to the show on our Patreon. Over the course of several years, I uh, produced a show where I went through every Bond film and also did some commentaries for them in the lineup to no in the lead up to No Time to Die, and I think particularly of the uh, the the Golden Eye one, which I recorded. Um, Basically, as uh, I think the first delay happened, and the Tomorrow Never Dies one, where Andrew Jones and I were like, right, we actually think maybe the film is going to come out at the point where it was supposed to come out at the time, so let's do the Tomorrow Never Dies one, and then literally the day after, it got delayed again. Um... And then I recorded the Spectre show. Well, I released the Spectre show the day before No Time to Die came out. 
so it had been a long lead and there was a lot riding on no time to die for me you know it, it's that and tenet were my almost like my constants in lockdown to get me through it from a personal satisfaction kind of um point of view i mean obviously you know got lots and i've got don and having them i mean i can't imagine how fucking hard lockdown must have been if you were by yourself and if well and i i I know at least one person is listening who was in that situation i know at least two people listening are in that situation and i can't fucking imagine um and being that as it is i still had to have some kind of constants kind of keeping me sane during the worst parts of it um and film kind of provided that and the looking forward to things provided that so when no time to die finally came out in september it was we're we're here i can't quite believe that we're here let's go and the the fact that that film that was made pre-covid and you know just with the the kind of the expectations of okay this is the final daniel craig film i think for me and i think probably an awful lot of other people had heightened meaning for just how long we'd been waiting for it and the fact that it just was what it was it was a soulful bit of work um daniel craig using everything that he'd been through with the previous films knowing that he was going out and just absolutely bringing it all the cast bringing it and and, you know Rami Malek gets a lot of shit for the fact that he's you know barely on screen for a long part of it and what's his character actually up to and blah 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 um but he is just this fucking damaged soul of a performance that is not right in the world and not right in the head because of the, the past trauma and whatnot. And I, I, I think that works and I think he does well. The, the action is tremendous. And, but the also, frankly, the wanting to rekindle memories in Bond fans of many years before are there with the i mean it, it it's funny I, I when i was rewatching it at home when the um we when he says we've got all to, all the time in the world the kicks in donna was um kind of like on a phone or something and she was just like that's what he says at the end of that one where his wife gets killed isn't it and i was like yep yeah it's just all yeah yeah just already there and then all the time in the world kicks in that i was just like and you know this is the 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 key song in that film don and she was just like yeah i could see how that works you know just even though she has no connection to it like literally on her majesty's secret service 
she just walked in on me. Like, and remember, folks, this was the commentary where my fucking kitchen was on fire halfway through it. I had to fucking pause to literally stop a fire in my kitchen and come back to it. But Donna, like, was in the room when I was watching that. And, like, I was recording afterwards. She was just like, they just kill his wife. So like, yeah, 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 they did. You know, and, like, the fact that that... George Lazenby says, oh, don't worry, we've got all the time in the world. And the fact that Donna remembered that was like, isn't that the what what he said? You know, I don't know. There's just some weird cod- cultural osmosis there that just worked. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I've, I've monologued a bit there. But it was a film that meant so fucking much to me throughout the whole of the pandemic and it just it worked it, it, it stuck the landing so beautifully i mean honestly you know i i i i i, I yeah film's obviously a huge part of my life but i i i kind of think no time to die for what it managed to deliver versus the the, the build up, it it, it it I don't yeah it, it's uh, I re- remember it to my dying day. It's the kind of honestly I know it sounds so fucking stupid, but it's the kind of thing. It's like bury a copy of the 4K with my fucking body, you know that that kind of, along with a bunch of other things. But yeah, yeah, it, it just it was. Um, it, it, it yeah it helped me through looking forward to that film helped me through a lot of the last few year a few years and uh it, it it just stuck the landing beautifully and um i i i hope they're all really 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 fucking proud of themselves yeah absolutely um i I, I think I said my piece at the start cause i want to i want to end with that because I, I echo everything you said it was just it was I'm just so glad that it, it, it worked and it was and it is an it is an impeccably good movie. Um and it, it, it wraps up the, the Craig bit fantastically. And like I say, and- there was genuinely bits in the cinema where I was quite literally edge of the seat, like just like tapping Becky. Just not for not to get to watch it because she was watching it, but just going, What's going on? What's going on? What this, this is happening, this is happening. And it was that it had got me. It had got me to that level, uh, and that's great. It's a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, yeah. I, 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 sorry, just just to say as well. It, it, I, th- I think I said at the time in the review, but it's like at this point now, if they want to take Bond in a different direction, if Bond is just not going to be what Bond has been, if if like the Amazon thing means that there's TV series and blah blah, blah it's. I'm kind of all right with that because I honestly don't know how they top it. another Bond film ever, ever tops it for me personally. No, I, I, I'm... So it's fine. I'm the same with that. Um, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's the uh, end of year show. Um, you'll get Becky's uh, lists next week. Um, she... 
He's literally five minutes away from coming back. <laughs> Shit, she's still not home. No, they didn't, so, they, yeah, they didn't get folks, to her we're, car. We're, we're, didn't get finished till like half, half seven. And, and folks, we're sorry because obviously Bex is an integral part of the podcast, but it, it, it's schedules are what they are and intentions are what they are, and we didn't quite know that. Like what was gonna, the, the situation with Bex tonight was going to be what it was, but it, it just like, oh shit, and that recording just died. Um, it is still recording. Oh my, what is it? It's still going. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's still recording. I believe so it's in still case I can't to the get Mark back, call, my the internet, not, yeah, the call is Mark's connected. laptop battery has just died. He's just told me on WhatsApp. So um, I'm going to see if I can get Mark back. Yeah, we're good. Um, so please thank hold. you very much for listening, guys. <laughs> Bit of an odd one on towards WhatsApp. the end. <laughs> and we're going to finish this. But yeah, so what we could bring um, next week in through the miracle of Mark talking through my phone. What do I call Mark on here? Oh, that's right. Mark. Nice. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, I'll speak to you soon, bud. We're going to try it. I did this. Let's see what happens. Hello? Mark, you're live on Film Bastards. Please feel free to swear. Fuck, fuck. Um, what were you saying? Go on, fin- finish off, and I'm I'm just putting this on the, my phone by my mic. Uh, all right, yes. Um, see, my, my, my laptop battery just died, <laughs> which was nice. I'm just hoping that it saved the... Um, well, yeah, we, we've if if folks if the sound doesn't sound too great, it'll be because right, well, uh, Mark had well, thankfully recorded it on Skype, which I'm really glad yeah, he did that, that now because we don't usually do that. So right. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that was it. Yeah. So Bex is literally oh, uh, about to get home in about two three minutes. Um, but yeah, she'll do her bit there. But yes, uh, we are. Yeah, we're good. So. Thank you much for listening, guys. <laughs> Bit of an odd one towards the end. <laughs> but yeah, so what we covering next week, Ian? Uh So next week we're going to be uh, talking about Nightmare Alley. Um, yeah, no, we're going to be talking about Nightmare Alley and then uh, into February releases start piling up a little bit. So yeah, we're going to do a catch-up of Nightmare Alley then and then take it from there. Nice. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, I'll speak to you soon, bud. Uh, we are Film uh, Bastards is us. Chin Stroker versus Punter, uh, Entertainment Landfill, The Iron Sequel, his film, her movie. Uh, fuck. Um, uh, God, uh, shit, my brain's gone. Sorry, it's a very discombobulating way of finishing this podcast, so apologies, folks. Um, but uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, we will see you next week. Uh, uh, Jason Wright, Wrightman, you can suck my fucking dick. There we are. Bye, guys. Bye.
is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.